usually open, and you can usually call in about whatever you want, but right now, we're locking down the phone lines for a temporary amount of time. We're on lockdown. Because <laughs> we've got a special guest who's with us here to start the show, but we will have open phones later on, so stay tuned for that. You can jot the number down if you'd like at 603-283-6160. In the studio tonight, it's Ian. Beakless Mountaineer. And the Reverend Captain Kickass is here. We don't do guests very often on this program, but earlier this week I saw on social media, on on Twitter, uh, there's an account I follow called Dash Incubator, which Mm -hmm. is one of the various different accounts associated with the Dash cryptocurrency. Of course, we're also associated with the Dash cryptocurrency in that... Uh, we are accepting 32 Dash per month thanks to the Dash, uh, their decentralized autonomous organization, which is, by the way, the world's first. Dash did it first. Thanks to them for sending us that 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. You can visit Dash.org to learn more about Dash. We've been telling you generally. Um, uh, you had mentioned on uh, one of these programs that uh, you didn't need to wait for the, the transaction to get confirmed if you were using Dash. That's because Dash is irreversible, uh, unlike Bitcoin, which uh, the, a few years ago, several years ago, they put in a quote-unquote feature that basically allows you to hit the undo button on a Bitcoin transaction as long as it hasn't gotten its first confirmation. Hmm. Uh, but uh, we've got the lead strategist for Dash on with us here. His name is Ryan Sovereign. He's on with us from Utah at, at home, I presume. Welcome, Ryan. Thanks. It's good to be here. Yeah. And just for clarification, I'm not the lead strategist of Dash. Oh, okay. Although I wish I were sometimes. Um, just the Dash incubator. Which Very is good. one of the Dash funded organizations. Well, tell me about the Dash incubator. What is that and you know, how is it related to Dash as a cryptocurrency? Yeah, so as you as you know, Dash has uh, a DAO, which was the first DAO. Um, and basically what that means is every month, every about 30 days, there's a super block which basically prints out, mints out newly issued currency for any project that is deemed interesting and would provide value to Dash. Uh, and so I apply or I, I send a proposal quarterly to, to that process. And then the stakeholders, which are called masternode ho- uh, owners in Dash, they vote on whether uh, anybody should get funding or not. And you, know, you got funding for this uh, sponsorship and I get funding to run the organization called Dash Incubator. We we do uh, web development and blockchain um, developments. Uh, so, like, we're mostly doing um, applications that are building on Dash platform, but we also do other uh, other application development. Can you give us an example of something that has been incubated and put into production, perhaps? Uh, so most of our stuff actually isn't in production yet because, like I said, it's 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 waiting for Dash Platform, which is a pro a, a program, uh, not a program, but a uh, a product that's been in the works for several years, um, uh, and is coming to a close. We're we just barely got back on testnet recently, uh, and so applications building on top of that. We at least now have a testnet to build on. Um, but in the meantime, we do uh, things like um, I, one of the things that I focused on is, is, is payment tooling and merchant acceptance tooling. 
Um, but we also like we also have developed something like a, a Twitter alternative that's built on Dash platform. But again, none of that's live yet. So it's mostly experimental stuff. We're big, big fans of merchant acceptance here on Free Talk Live, and this is something that we've focused on over the years, uh, having been involved with the folks over at AnyPay for some time, which is, as you probably know, uh, one of the primary cryptocurrency, multi-crypto acceptance platforms out there. One of the, the real challenges in the world of crypto, for those of us that are focused on getting local businesses to accept cryptocurrency, which you know, was kind of the whole point, I thought, was to actually get people to spend crypto. And that's what I love about Dash is that it's one of the few cryptos that actually focuses on being used as an actual day-to-day useful currency. It's uh, it's pretty slim pickings out there as far as options for local businesses yeah, to, uh, to actually accept something at a yeah. point of sale, you know, to have a tablet there with something running on it to make it easy for a cashier to just punch in some numbers, get a, a QR code up, and then have it work uh, correctly when somebody tries to pay. Uh, AnyPay was the, the primary one for a while, and they actually launched with Dash back in 2017. There's a few out there that are just like one-offs. So there's like one that just does Bitcoin Cash. There's this one company that just does Dash. But I don't think anyone else uh, besides AnyPay is doing multi-crypto acceptance that includes Dash. I know BitPay has something, but they're not doing, I don't think they're doing Dash. Um, are you aware of anything, any other uh, multi-crypto platforms out there? Yes, um, there are uh, quite a few, but a lot of them are focused on fiat conversion as well, mm-hmm. which um, I'm not as interested in. But there's things like um, coin payments is one that comes to mind. There's If you look on Dash.org, there's a, a whole page of merchant tools that all except Dash. Didn't but, um, coin payments recently, though, uh, blow up all U.S. user support and basically tell people in the United States to go pound sand? They don't want to deal with them anymore? Uh, they may have. That, that's news <laughs> that I, I don't know about. I feel um, like I heard that somewhere. Were, were they the one that, um, you know, uh, like I took a trip to Wisconsin uh, last summer or last spring, and uh, I random Chinese restaurant I ordered some food from off their website and they had an option to pay with crypto. And it wasn't okay. that the restaurant itself was accepting the crypto. It was mm-hmm. that they had integrated this payment system into their website. Yeah, it was an intermediary. Happened. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I, is that the same company? I don't know about that. Uh, but Coin Payments, uh, according to – this was like a year ago. I just did a quick uh, search here. Coin Payments kicking out U.S.-based customers. Yeah. This was oh, – wow. uh, they closed everybody down in July of 2022 apparently so <laughs> okay well the the page that i was telling you about uh, dash.org slash providers dash and dash tools mm-hmm. you could just uh google it uh, but uh you mentioned AnyPay, and we had recently requested uh actually the AnyPay guy had to for some reason uh that that get back up on our website because it was off temporarily but now it's back up there uh and in the number one slot uh even and um Recently, to, to tie it back into the incubator, uh, we do have a we do have a card a a um, a project on our card that's AnyPay um, assistance. So there were several bugs that um, needed to get fixed on AnyPay, right. and, and we 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 went ahead and we fixed those, and we're 
we're adding some some features to that. So we love the AnyPay guys. Yeah, uh, thank goodness. I'm so glad that they open sourced their software because for a long time it wasn't. Yes. Yeah. And then they decided to uh, that they needed the help. I think they realized and they they open sourced it. And I saw the uh, uh, there was like a Dash podcast that you guys did. Uh, where yep. you interviewed, I think, a programmer from somewhere over in Eastern Europe uh, who went in there and hammered out the code and, and got yep. any pay back up into ship shape conditions. So I'm really glad to uh, to hear about those changes. So Dash Incubator had a big hand in that, sounds like. Yeah, yeah, we, we were the ones that that did that. Joel um, Valenzuela kind of tipped us off and said, hey, the NPA guys could use some help getting this, uh, this fixed. And I, th- I debated on it for a little while because I don't, necessarily want to play favorites with merchant tools that are third parties and their companies and everything. But in this case, we got to have, we got to have some payment tools that work and, and any pay being one of the only ones like uh, controversies aside, we just got to get this thing going. So yeah, we, we decided to well, pull that in and as a user, thank you. And uh, yeah, what was yeah, that uh, dash podcast that you were hearing about that on? So we have a, we have a weekly podcast called incubator weekly. And we, we highlight a project that we're working on every week, a different project every week. So we, we did the AnyPay project a few weeks ago. So if you just Googled, um, you know, we're on YouTube. I don't think that we're syndicated elsewhere at this point, but we should be. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that's, that's, if you Google Incubator Weekly, you'll, you'll come up with the show. And the AnyPay is probably like three or four weeks ago. So yeah, we... We were suffering here uh, for like a, more than a year, I think, because under that particular bug that uh, was plaguing the AnyPay system. And as you may or may not know, Ryan, uh, we're based, the show's based out of New Hampshire. And uh, Joel, who you mentioned, is sort of noteworthy as one of the key crypto activists up here. He has been living exclusively on cryptocurrency, he has no bank account. Uh, for almost a decade. I believe he started in 2015, and he lives over on the east side of New Hampshire, over in the seacoast area, and we're on the western, southwestern side in the Keene area, and both the seacoast and Keene have historically been the most crypto-accepting places as far as like local businesses where you can actually go in, you can actually spend cryptocurrency, including Dash. Every place that takes crypto here is taking Dash, and they have been uh, for for many years, because again, it, AnyPay launched with Dash, and it was just so sad to see people. I'm not allowed to use crypto under my bail conditions, but uh, I used to be a daily user of Dash here in town, and it's just so sad to see people being unable to spend. People who want to spend, and businesses who want to accept it. It's just like we were crippled uh, for so long. So thank you, uh, guys at the Dash Incubator, for getting that system back up and running. It's 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 tough, you know, bringing businesses on board as as great as an idea as cryptocurrency is, if those tools don't exist, you're dead in the water. So I know one of the things that you wanted to talk about here tonight was the banking system. And this is something that we've been focused on in certainly in recent weeks and months here, especially mm-hmm. on Free Talk Live on the Saturday show, where we've covered, you know, the various different banking failures over the last uh, couple of months. Of course, we've been discussing inflation and you know all the various different economic factors in play right now and i think you know it's certainly dash and other cryptocurrencies that are you know out there right now are more important than they've ever been as uh, as an outlet for people to get out of the the current system uh, i mean besides the fact that the banking system just seems to be imploding up- in upon itself and we may not actually have to lift a finger in order to see it completely demolished 
uh, you know, what do you think about transitioning from the status quo to a more crypto oriented future? Yeah, um, that is that is something that I want to get into detail about. Uh, but at first, I did want to mention one thing about your show, because uh, you mentioned something about, you know, do I know about the show? I do know about the show. I discovered your show probably 10 years ago. And that is actually your show is what brought me to Bitcoin almost oh. 10 years ago right wow. now. So, nice. so thank you guys. Thanks, man. I appreciate uh, that. <laughs> yeah. And I, and Glad I we could help. Very much a Bitcoiner for, for many years and then uh, eventually shifted over to Dash uh, because of various reasons. Um, but... But well, yeah, let's talk I, about the reasons. I mean, <laughs> at least for me, uh, it, let, it, let me guess yeah. because you can't actually make small purchases with it. Yes, that was a reason yeah, for yeah. me for sure. It was, uh, <laughs> you know, I and I have to admit, I I was one of those people who I didn't see the value in the alternatives to Bitcoin early on. I, I remember when Mark Edge and I were doing Bitcoin shows conferences surprising. long time ago. Because back in the day, Bitcoin was useful for small payments. Bitcoin could do microtransactions. It had all that capability. It was being used for those purposes. And when uh, you know all these other alternatives came along, I was just like, my attitude was like, what do we need you guys for? Everything's fine. Bitcoin's great. Well, from, and, from the very beginning, I'm like, well, I mean, uh, any system can be compromised, mm-hmm. even if it's very, very difficult to do so. So, I mean, even if uh, Bitcoin was doing its job of being able to make ordinary purchases with uh having these other chains you know if for no other purpose than you know if somehow or another the existing fiat banking system got enough sway over this system through hook or crook in one other way that that would be a way of securing the idea is having these other chains to move to yeah had i had that wisdom i might have bought some dash when i first when we first interviewed <laughs> the founder of dash years ago but instead it wasn't it wasn't until Bitcoin started to uh, get, you know, uh, very slow and very expensive. So I realized, oh my God, we got to do something to diversify. And so that's when I finally decided to uh, to get into the alternatives like Dash. At that and point, and I think I, I jumped out. I, I jumped kind of off in terms of my interest level in Bitcoin, even before the fees became to be a huge problem. I just discovered um, Amanda B. Johnson, who you probably are familiar with. She mm-hmm. had a show called The Daily Decrypt. And she covered um, many different cryptocurrencies. I was just interested in the whole space because I'm, I'm very much like a, a competition kind of guy. Like the, the more competition, the better the value, most oh, likely, yeah. yep. the lower the costs. Agreed. So that's, I was looking into alternatives and, you know, I, I discovered Dash. And the, the thing that was really, this was probably about 2015, the thing that was really interesting to me was the DAO and was the fact that uh, they carved out uh, a portion of the block rewards away from miners and towards um, stakeholders, which we call masternode owners, um, and then the 10% of the of the budget. And I just thought that is a project that has legs to becoming an actual economy and not just a speculative asset that you buy and kind of hope that it works um, because um, you have to actually kickstart the economy by, in my opinion, and this is this will probably be one of the themes about my message tonight, is until and unless people are actually getting paid in the cryptocurrency uh, for their daily job, this will not catch on. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's the lesson of my that's my ten year sage lesson, I guess, of being in this uh, fighting in this fight for for ten years. Is that I've just come to the realization that 
it's not going to catch on until people are actually earning cryptocurrency. Yep. Uh, well, in their, that, their that, always, that always just seemed like a different stage in the the progression of the thing. Like it, it, it seems to me that the first thing is where you have, okay, you know that you can get valuable things in exchange for this. And then uh, it becomes more common to exchange goods and services for it. And as that becomes more and more common, since it, it's reliable over a period of time that you'll be able to exchange this for valuable things, then uh, would be when employers would, uh, w- well, rather would be when employees would be willing to uh, take their payment in something that they weren't necessarily uh, hardcore zealot on. Yeah, there have been a variety of uh, services where you can individually like go to your human resources portal for your employer if they have one uh, and change your direct deposit information to this third-party service that will convert your paycheck post theft post taxes uh into mm-hmm. cryptocurrency of your choice and then deposit it into your crypto wallet that has happened so we know that there is at least the market idea for it and that there is some market demand for it so i look forward to the day when that is the popular thing yeah yeah i i, I don't know if that's going to happen organically or not then that's that's kind of my thing that i've i've kind of learned is that not a lot of things happen organically hmm. uh, as you know, libertarians, of which I, I would call myself a libertarian, although I know that that term's kind of embattled these days, um, they tend to step back and say, oh, the market will take care of it. What they don't realize is that you are the market. <laughs> I am the market. The market <laughs> right. is not going to take care of anything. Individuals are going to take care of things through their own will. Um, and so, yes, you know, like it's good to have these options, but uh, a kind of a a supplement to that statement is that most people are not um, that driven. Like most people are not, don't have that will behind them to like change an economy, change mm-hmm. a system, change, you know, change the pol- political scene. Most people are um, just neutral. Yep. They just want to pay their bills and go along to get along families and have fun with friends and that's what most people are going to do. And so most people are just going to take a job that pays them something. Mm-hmm. And most times uh, you take that payment in U.S. dollars. Um, and so that's kind of what has to change is I think um, I I call myself the lead strategist. And I call myself a strategist because um, personally, I'm done with the theory. <laughs> I know enough libertarian theory. I'm past that point and I'm. Uh, I, I'm hoping that other people kind of get past that point. It's time for strategy and execution, um, building on top of the theory that we all know and 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 are you know and know well enough to at least put it into action. And so I think that there needs to be a few people uh, that that need to just kind of create businesses that pay the the business pays out in cryptocurrency. And then it doesn't matter, like the employees, they don't have to have any kind of dog in the fight. They don't have to be ideological or anything. They just have to be paid in something that can work for them, that they can then turn around and spend at other merchants and things. Um, but they don't necessarily need to you know, fight the fight about like, um, you know, we're going to change the system. They're just going to get paid and, and they're going to buy their groceries with it. You know, that's... Yeah, I like the the message of implementation and you know taking action to what we want to see in the marketplace, and we've definitely 
had a lot of that happen here uh, in New Hampshire. The Fed's kind of put a dampener on mm. things in the last few years by using SWAT teams to raid some of the key activists up here. And I suspect that has uh, put a bit of a... Uh, a pallor of fear over the entire crypto scene. Plus, you've got the SEC bringing lawsuit after lawsuit against good people like the folks over at Library, for instance, which they're still embattled in that particular uh, situation. They're going after Ripple. They're going after uh, Coinbase. They're going after, you know, you, you fill in the blank. There's been so many of these suits. So yeah. they're definitely trying to intimidate people. Do you feel like this has had an effect on, you know, local businesses' willingness to even consider uh, not just accepting cryptocurrency like Dash, but also certainly paying people uh, in Dash? Has that put a, you know, fear into people? Uh, well, honestly, I don't think anybody's even close to that point yet. We're still at the we're still at the the phase of building infrastructure to 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 make this possible, if and when the the masses do come around to the idea. So I'm not I'm not um, out there on the streets trying to get merchants to adopt at this point. Mm-hmm. We're trying to get um, businesses to use cryptocurrency. I think we still need a lot of infrastructure changes. And that's um, to bring it back to Dash a little bit. Uh, by the way, I'm not a Dash maxi. Um, it's just that it's the only project that I, I really see as as having potential and, and targeting this. Um, most projects have just kind of given up on even trying to be money. Um, you know, there are probably 80 out of the 100 uh, in the top 100 that are not even trying to be money. It's right. that's not cryptocurrency projects. They're crypto assets, they're meme coins, they're stable coins. They're just, uh, they're not trying to be money. They're just trying to be something else. And then I would say there's probably maybe 10 that are actually trying to be money. And then of those 10, um, very few, I think Dash is probably the only one that has this system where uh, we are paying our developers from the actual stakeholders instead of having volunteer developers that can get co-opted and that can get um, uh, hired by third-party interests. I'm bankers. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask, do you think that this, this incubator that dash has is the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, uh, the, the motivation behind uh, what dash does versus every other crypto. I don't know. Hold that thought. Make a note. We'll have to ask that question coming up here. Ryan, you're with us for at least a whole hour here. Stand by. We're going to continue uh, in moments. If you've got a question for Ryan Sovereign, he's with the Dash Incubator. You can jump on the lines now at 603-283-6160. Talking about uh, implementation, building the infrastructure for what comes next, which is hopefully mass adoption. Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Rising fees have made Bitcoin useless for purchases, but Dash continues to have fees less than one cent per transaction and has implemented really cool features to ensure it's undefeated as the most useful cryptocurrency in the marketplace. From a technical standpoint, Dash transactions are irreversible and its network is protected from 51% attacks by their Chainlocks technology. There's no need to wait for a confirmation before considering a Dash transaction complete, so it's great for merchants. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Big thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. 
Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash.org. It is Free Talk Live, and you can join the show here. You can bring up anything you want uh, in a little bit. Not right now, because we have a special guest on the line. The number for you, though, is 603-283-6160. We're talking about the, uh, the procedure, the process of change in regards to getting out from the government money system that we've all been saddled with for our whole lives and getting into alternatives like cryptocurrency. Uh, Dash, of course, is one of the few cryptos out there focused on being useful as an actual currency. Of course, as you pointed out, uh, we got our guest here, Ryan Sovereign. He's with us from his home in Salt Lake City. He's the lead strategist over at uh, Dash Incubator. And uh, as you pointed out, you're not a Dash maximalist. You're, uh, you're probably like us, where if it's if it works, we use it, right? So I'm, I'm a proof-of-work maximalist, personally. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think proof-of-stake is nonsense that only serves to centralize what was supposed to be a decentralized technology. Well, Dash is but a bit I respect of, people who disagree with my opinion. As so. I understand it, Dash is a bit of both. Uh, there's uh, mining, so proof of work in Dash, but the masternodes have to stake a uh, thousand Dash and in order to using Dash Direct. You can use Dash to buy stake. Mm. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah, no, yes. I, I, it's really the the idea of uh, having more means you get more is really the problem. Where like uh, through with Dash, you have to actually mine in order to get more Dash. Whereas with something like Ethereum, if you just stake more Ethereum, then you get more Ethereum, mm-hmm. and uh, that that just centralizes control of the chain. So. Yes, I'd, I'd like to say something about that, Please. actually, because um, I, I am not a big fan of proof of work, but it's because of reasons. Um, so you mentioned you like proof of work because it provides decentralization mm-hmm. and probably also um, a, fair, a, a fairer coin distribution where the rich aren't just getting richer by sitting on their bags. Right. And I, I fully agree with that, um, that actual goal. I would say that proof of work is a, is one potential means to that goal, but um, I have come to a point where I think that a, a better strategy is actually what I call proof of value. And so proof of work, um, if you kind of dig into it and, and you don't even have to dig very far to find out that proof of work is very similar to the labor theory of value. <laughs> um, I put a bunch of work into this thing, therefore I should get some money. Um, I think most people realize that that's not a healthy form of uh, a value creation. Well, the, the difference being that uh, labor, form, labor theory of value doesn't include other people valuing what labor you did. Whereas uh, with proof of work, I, I think we can all agree that we, uh, we value the security of the chain. Mm-hmm. For listeners so, that aren't familiar, proof of work is uh, sort of the traditional means of uh, backing a cryptocurrency, in this case with what are called mining operations, mining computers that uh, put a lot of time and energy 
into solving mathematical problems to secure the chain, to uh, add blocks to the chain, which, of course, the blocks have the data of the transactions that happen within a certain time frame. Uh, proof of work is sort of the classic way of going about this, but there have been these other alternatives uh, and competitors that have arisen, and so I just wanted to make sure we were clear on what we are yeah. talking about. So, so that's actually a good springboard to the, to what I was calling proof of value. So it, as you know, in Dash, uh, I'll, I'll uh, keep it simple by saying that our block reward is is split three ways. Um, it used to be that 45% would go to miners, 45% that would go to masternode owners, or in other words, stakers, um, and then 10% or up to 10% would go to a general treasury. And that's actually kind of what I consider the proof of value part of it. The ten, that small 10%, um, that, is on, that dash is only created if the stakeholders, the people that are holding the coins, feel that this giving, creating this new dash will actually provide value to the coin and hopefully bring the value of the coin up. Um, now, my... Probably the most, the, the one of the more controversial um, opinions that I have is that we should maximize that uh, proof of value section. And granted, I'm biased in saying that because I benefit from that personally. Um, but it's more like the other way around. I'm I'm targeting that. I switched my day job from a mechanic, being a mechanical engineer, to uh, getting into this cryptocurrency thing as my full time job. Because I think that is the strategy that, that will actually gain adoption for this whole industry. Everybody should be working, uh, or at least not should, not should be, but, but if you can, you should work uh, in this industry if you want to uh, push it forward. So um, that's how economies work. People, people, people work for a living, and the thing that they earn is the thing that's going to become the economy. And if you can, the more people you can get earning the coin in a, in a way that provides value to society, uh, the more people that do that, the bigger that economy becomes. So you're saying expand the treasury expand from it. 10% to 25 or 20%, 20%, 25. Mm -hmm. And actually um, I think that we not only should expand the, the allocation, the percentage that's going to the treasury, um, but and I would say that should come mostly from mining. Um, but that's a deeper reason why I think that that we should do that. Um, but I think that we should also increase the coin issuance beyond the uh, the cap. So mm. in cryptocurrency, it's kind of a sacred cow that you have that you should have a fixed currency supply. Right. I think Dash is like, what, 18 million? Yes. So Bitcoin, Bitcoin was, you know, 20 21 million, million uh, is, is the coin supply cap. And then there's like this logarithmic curve that approaches that limit. Um, but that is not to be messed with. If you mess with that, you are, you know... You're a heretic. Well, well, yeah. Well, the idea, the idea being that, like, there's only we don't know exactly what the number is, but there's only so much gold on Earth, mm -hmm. so it gets harder and harder to get it, and at some point you do run out. 
so with a, a yeah. cryptocurrency, there's only so much, say, Bitcoin or Dash that can ever be mined. So as you get closer and closer, that uh, the idea of like there is a, a real finite amount scarcity. of this thing. Right, because scarcity has always been a, a really big part of uh, how valuable a trade good is. What would your proposal be to, to change that? Scarcity is only the supply side. There's also the demand side. And without getting into you know supply and demand curves and anything like that, uh, the general premise is that uh, you can think of money as, as having th- there are three main types of money. At least this is how I think about it. You have, you have debt money. That's dollars. The U.S. dollar system is a, mostly a debt monetary system. Uh, when, you, when, when money is created on the one hand, it's because debt is also created on the other hand, and the asset and the liability cancel each other out. Um, that's what I call debt money. Then there's also um, commodity money, which was what you were talking about with mm-hmm. gold, where there's this commodity. It's a, actually a physical uh, commodity that um, has a limit. You know, there, mm-hmm. there's a limit to the amount of, of that stuff on the earth at any given time. Yeah, uh, and, another uh, uh, just a quick example of the the limitation there. Uh, so diamonds uh, are a very controlled release. Like they they have a uh, sort of a collusion among the people who have the most of the diamonds to say we will only let out so many of them uh, so that the supply stays low and uh, that keeps the demand for diamonds and thus the price, price per diamond out. a lot higher. And, and that's that's one of the things with like fiat, uh, the you know, government issued currency, there's no cap on it and that's one of the reasons that it keeps inflating away yeah if you look at uh, fiat currency compared to cryptocurrency fiat currency is one of the worst s coins that has ever existed <laughs> yes. yeah no doubt truly so there's this third kind of money that that i call equity money and i don't know if there are any economists or anything that are using these terms this is just how i think of it think of it uh, equity money is what i would call uh, cryptocurrencies are what i would think of as equity money now, equity, if you think about what is an equi- what is equity, uh, the, the primary example of equity that we know of today is, is stock. So there's if you create a company and you incorporate that company and then you want to raise money for that company, what you can do is you can create an equity, to- an equity um, uh, stock and say, I'm going to magically just out of nowhere create a million um, – a million shares of tokens or a million shares that represent the value of this company. And then I'm going to distribute those million shares to the investors of the company. And those investors, they're getting these things that were just made out of nothing, but they, they, they have a value because they put dollars behind that to get the company going. Okay. But, but debt equity or debt, debt financing and equity financing are two, the two ways that, a company can capitalize itself and they're totally different with, with debt uh, financing, you're borrowing money. You're saying I need to borrow $10 million and I will pay back the lender $10 million plus interest. That's uh, that's debt financing, but equity financing is, is different. I'm going to, uh, the, the investors say there are 10 investors, a million dollars each they each put in that million dollars and then what they get out of re- in return is not a bond or anything that's going to pay them back that exact amount. They get these quote unquote worthless shares 
Um, and that's equity of the company. And the hope is that the, the $10 million that they invested into that company, the company will hire people and they'll produce things and then they'll have a revenue stream. And then the revenue stream will create value that's coming into the company. And then the equity value of those shares goes up. So that's equity in the, in the classical sense. I consider cryptocurrency to be equity money in the, in that same sense where you just, we're just making these things up and um, we're putting something into that, but we don't expect anything in return. Like if I invest $10,000 into uh, a cryptocurrency asset, doesn't matter which one, I'm not expecting to be repaid that exact amount plus interest. No, I get a token that can either rise in value or, or uh, fall in value. And I take whatever, uh, whatever comes out of that. So that's equity money. Now, when you bring it back to the monetary system, um, because now, now I've painted the picture of cryptocurrencies, not as being commodity money, like Bitcoin was uh, modeled after, that's not really the nature of the beast. The nature of the beast is that, that cryptocurrencies are, uh, are equity money. You put something in and then you're not promised anything in return. And when you think of it that way, you can start to think of a cryptocurrency project as similar to a company where it doesn't really matter how many shares you're creating. So what matters is if you create some shares of a company and then you want to increase the the amount of shares you can do that and by i'm not by any means like a uh, a financial guru or anything i just know generally how this works and um companies they can issue extra shares if they want to bring in a tr- additional um investment that should be the same model that cryptocurrencies follow. We should be able to increase the shares of our of our cryptocurrency assets if and only if we expect that to increase the value of the of the equity money, increase the value of the token. Um, and that if um, you know it's it's always a gamble, just like it's a gamble in any kind of uh, traditional equity, any kind of company shares. It's always a gamble when you're raising um, raising more money. Is this diluting the existing shareholders, or is this going to, in the end, um, increase the value so that even though you're being diluted a little bit, uh, the, your overall financial position is better. Uh, you have more value because the uh, the investment that you brought in increased the the, the token uh, price. To a greater degree than your than you were diluted. So it's a tricky it's a tricky question though, right? Because you you are pushing against the sort of traditional Bitcoin view that thou shalt never raise uh, the the maximum cap, and there's going to be a lot of people pushing against that. Then on the other hand, there are some coins that that are already doing this, right? So I think uh, Monero is uh, an example of this. Where, as I understand it, yeah, I was, uh, was going to ask if uh, so. With Monero, I know that uh, what they do to to maintain scarcity in the coin is that they have only so much in a given amount of time that is allowed to be minted, and that they've made that way way less than the average amount of uh, gold that gets mined in a year. So is that what you were thinking? If uh, well, if hold this on, does get as changed? I understood the Monero model is they have a certain amount that comes out and that stays static 
It doesn't go right. down it's, over time, but because it's compared to the full amount of Monero, the percentage gets slowly smaller and smaller. So even though it's, well, I don't know what it is, X Monero mm-hmm. comes out every block right. uh, as the mining reward, but because it's just adding to the total, it becomes a smaller smaller percentage. Is that right. kind of what you were thinking this of? Is, yes, exactly. Uh, Monero, in my opinion, is taking a better approach than than Bitcoin mm-hmm. and Dash in this in this regard. Uh, because they are, it's called a tail emission, where mm-hmm. the emission doesn't level off to a certain uh, magic holy number that may not be violated. Um, instead, the magic number is the amount of, like you were saying, the amount of um, tokens that are issued over time. Let's say for just for argument's sake, it's 10 Monero for every block. I have no idea if that's yeah, even yeah. in the right realm. But if you, 10, if you, if you mint the first 10 uh, in a block, and then the second ten, the second ten that you minted is a hundred percent inflation. And then the third ten is something s- smaller than that. And then by the time you're at a hundred, you're it, when you issue ten more, that's only ten percent. And then when you're at a thousand, that's only one percent. And then when you're at ten thousand, that's only point one percent. So that that like you were saying, that percentage goes down over time, even though you're minting a fixed amount hmm. of the coin over time for eternity. Um, and and that's that is in my opinion a better approach because that that provides security uh, to the whoever's um, validating that and in, in the case of Monero it's mining. Well, uh, and, so and, and I, I wanted to ask. To um, so I know that uh, Dash once upon a time had a, a privacy feature, and I was curious if uh, if you had any uh, any intent to uh, add that back in because uh, I know that uh, you it's know, Monero still there. is. Uh, it is it's still there. It's it's a, it's, it's a coin join. It's the most rudimentary, the original mm-hmm. form of uh, mixing. So this is like pre-Monero level kind of privacy yes. stuff. Yeah. So that's that's funny. That man, oh man, a lot of damage was done in the days. Uh, I'm not going to pin it to any one person because there were a lot of people that were involved with this. But but yes, there was a time when Dash was stepping back from its privacy roots and mm-hmm. saying, "Oh, we don't have private send anymore." Um, we, we just, we can do coin mixing just like, just like, uh, anybody can do on Bitcoin. We mm-hmm. have no special features, but in fact, we do have a special feature because our coin mixer was built into the protocol and into the main wallet implementation mm. and, uh, enabled by masternodes. So it was different. It is different. It actually never was removed. It was just, we stepped back from, we meaning some, uh, people at, at dash core group, um, wanted to distance ourselves from the privacy branding so that we could maintain listings on centralized exchanges. Now, I thought this was always a dumb idea. Yeah, it was a big mistake. Um, it was a big mistake. Like I said, we never changed anything. The The, the actual uh, fu- feature of mixing has always been there and has always functioned, but we just stopped branding it private send and we started calling it coin join, which, mm. you know, you can debate the terms, which term is better than the other, but like yourself, a lot of people got confused and, and thought, oh, we're, we're removing the privacy features of Dash. That mm-hmm. never happened. Um, and it will never happen uh, as far as, you know, I will never let that happen uh, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. And there are a lot of people in Dash who would, who would have abandoned the coin had we done anything of the sort. But the stepping away from the branding and just kind of like advertising and marketing our privacy feature, that alone did a lot of damage. Um, so we need to kind of gain that back. 
But um, agreed. Hey, I, I know, Captain, you had at the end of the first segment, you had a question. I know we never came back to it. Do you well, happen to re- recall what that was? I, I do. It was about incentive, although it's more of a statement now than it is a question since okay. we've continued this segment. But it seems to me that Dash is taking advantage of what I like to call human incentive. And that is to say that if you want people adopting your new thing, whatever it is, right? You remember I spent time in the software industry. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I kind of get this incentive thing when you're trying to attract customers. So it seems to me that Dash is implementing a whole bunch of stuff that is uh, tailored to human incentive. And I say that with the incubator project being, you know, sort of the big thing here that I've never heard of another cryptocurrency having something like this where it's geared towards inventing new stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the same would go for Dash Direct. I don't know if Ryan knows, but I am sort of a, a user of it here in the Keene area. Um, I use it for mostly you know dinners at restaurants, stuff like that. But I also use it at like Home Depot uh, and that kind of thing. And, and you've I- been using it since long before we got the sponsorship from mm-hmm. Dash, just for the record. Oh, yeah, indeed. Yeah, for, for, uh, when I first found out about Dash Direct, I'm like, what's this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I started using it occasionally, and just as time has gone on, I've used it more and more and more. uh, Because it's actually useful, and you actually get a discount for using Dash. And that was one of the things I was going to bring back about, we were talking about AnyPay earlier. When Mm -hmm. AnyPay first, when I first got to the Key New Hampshire area, AnyPay had a Dash back program. That's right. If you went and spent Dash at a local merchant... You would just receive some percentage. I don't remember what it was. It was like 5% or something. Up to a cap. It was like... Yeah, it seemed high, but I was like, oh, wow. And so I get a discount. I get Dash back. That's awesome. Yep. And that was funded by the Dash uh, Decentralized Autonomous Organization. It was. But that's what I like about Dash Direct is it's sort of a a take on that same sort of philosophy Mm -hmm. where, hey, if you use our cryptocurrency through this gift card economy, uh, you know, we can give you a discount sometimes. So I guess really my question is, is will this continue, this gearing dash towards human incentive? Yes, um, that's perfect because that's actually very close to what I'm, I'm, trying to, um, I, I'm trying to bring that exact message to, to the dash community. Uh, it's taken me years, um, but to get back to the, the, the coin emission thing, um, I, I think that programs like that you need to evaluate like what is what would be the value if we could if we could just magically lift the the cap and the the supply schedule of of dash and this could could apply to any other currency if if there were similar ones but um if you could do that and you could say i want to create a thousand dash and and give it to these programs the question you should ask yourself is would the creation of those new coins um, and the potential selling pressure that those new coins coming onto the market could potentially create, does that, is that offset by and overcome by the benefit of whatever you're sending those 1000 coins out in the market to do, whether that's acquiring you know, maybe you could acquire a hundred new users, and uh, adding a hundred new users who really had a great impression of Dash and it, it, it solved a problem for them in their life, would those one hundred users offset the uh, the potential sell pressure that the addition of those thousand coins would add? Mm. And in my in, in my opinion, 
there are very many cases where you would be creating more value by creating the new coins. In other words, increasing the token supply, the coin supply, you're still creating more value by doing that. And if you ask you, if you think about it, of course that's the case because otherwise how would any coins be created if creating coins was decreasing the value, right? Every coin is technically inflationary. Every coin is adding more coins, adding more coins, adding more coins, every block, adding more coins. Now it's sending it to miners and miners are potentially selling those coins, putting downward pressure on the price, but they could also be not selling those coins and maybe giving them to neighbors. And then the neighbor gets them and he hopes that the price goes up. And so he's talking to his neighbors. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's debatable whether increasing coins are adding value or, or taking value away. But what's clear is that every coin is increasing the coins. Ryan, I only asked you for up to an hour, and I'm going to ask you if you want to stay and continue this discussion. It's gotten uh, it's even deeper than I expected it to be. I think it's been really good. It's up to you, though. I don't know what you have to do tonight. Yeah, I've, I've got my, my wife and kids are coming back, but uh, so that it might be a little noisier on my end, but I'm happy to stay. All right, let's keep this going here. Uh, the phones are available if you've got a question for Ryan Sovereign from Dash Incubator, 603-283-6160. Some of you have wanted to support Free Talk Live's mission on a monthly basis, but don't want to support Patreon. Now we have an alternative that also helps our premier streaming platform, Odyssey. Visit video.freetalklive.com and click join at the top of the channel. You can subscribe for $5 per month, and unlike other subscription services, Odyssey adds their processing fee on top, so it'll cost a little over $5 per month, but Free Talk Live will receive the entire amount you pledged. Higher donation tiers are available if you're feeling so inspired. You'll get a special membership badge that's visible in the Odyssey chat room, and if we get enough supporters, we may enable members-only chat. This new subscription method is a great way to decentralize our direct listener support away from just Patreon and also support a libertarian-run business, Odyssey. Please visit video.freetalklive.com and click join to subscribe to our Odyssey channel and help support spreading our message around the planet. Visit video.freetalklive.com and click join today. Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live. We're kicking off the second hour of the show. At some point, we will open up the phone lines here. Although, right now, if you do call in, you should have a question for our guest that we have on. Special guest tonight, Ryan Sovereign. He is the lead strategist for Dash Incubator. And as we mentioned in the last hour, Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash. And uh, they are a sponsor of the show. We've talked a lot in recent weeks about some of the cool features of Dash. And, of course, we will continue to do that, but we actually have one of the the folks who is uh, all the way into Dash. I mean, he is, uh, as he said, he's not a maximalist. I mean, he's, he's open to other things, probably has other some other cryptos, I would guess. Uh, but uh, Dash, to, to him, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but this is my understanding, is the most likely to sort of hold that uh, the trophy of being the most useful uh, cryptocurrency as far as actually using it as a currency that is what they've been focusing on for a long time and of course it's the dash uh their autonomous organization the decentralized autonomous organization the dow that makes all of what they do possible it funds the dash incubator it funds anything 
that anyone with one dash, it used to cost five dash, by the way, they, they, they changed that number to just one dash. So anybody that's got an idea for what they want to see dash do in the future, whether it be an advertising campaign like here on Free Talk Live or some sort of new program or changing the rules of how dash works, uh, all you got to do is make a proposal. You just pony up one dash right now. That's like 40 something bucks. And you make your proposal, and the Dash Masternodes vet that proposal. They, they, they're going to ask some tough questions. And if they, if they agree with it, they vote for it. If they don't, they're going to vote it down. And if it passes, then it gets implemented. Uh, and that's how we got this sponsorship here, and that's why the Dash DAO is sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. You can visit Dash.org and learn about Dash. But we're also talking with Ryan uh, Sovereign here with us from his home in, uh, in Utah. And thanks for staying on uh, into uh, extra time here, Ryan. I know that, like you said, you've got a family there, so hopefully we'll be able to wrap this up. But I realized we hadn't even really talked about the banks, dun, dun, right? Dun. Like getting out <laughs> from underneath this old money system. And I do want to discuss that. But we actually have a couple calls who have questions for you. So we're going to go to the phones here and talk to Shortwave Surfer. He's on our SIP line at sip.freetalklive.com. Go ahead, Shortwave Surfer. So a couple of things. You guys brought up the conversation of Monero versus Dash and the inflation versus deflation curve. And you guys were mentioning the fact that, like, as as the issuance occurs, it is slightly inflationary. But then as coins are lost through uh, accidents and private key loss and things like that, you get kind of a balance out where there's a equilibrium set where, yes, you're getting more coins being issued, but you're also losing coins at the same time. Mm-hmm. My, my questions for you, uh, I think it's Ryan, mm-hmm. are with the Dash DAO, um, are you concerned at all about regulators? Because I know that uh, regulators don't seem to like very much people and, and organizations that have like these uh, these mining these fees that go to an organization that can be centrally controlled like by some group of people they don't seem to like that and they seem to go after that really really hard yeah. um, that kind of thing oh, I would say they're they're more concerned about um, organizations that can be decentral <laughs> decentrally controlled they obviously they're uh, what they have to say is that you know that we're looking out for we're regulators and we're trying to help um keep people safe from whatever scams that's the or line. Yeah. They're honestly more concerned about people being able to live lives independently from them. Um and which is exactly kind of what, what Dash offers, at least to a small amount of people like myself that have successful proposals and are essentially working for the cryptocurrency. Um are we concerned about regulators? Of course. Um, it's always a concern when people threaten your life, uh, as I'm sure many here in this this call can attest to. But um, you know, that's it's, it's like a balance that you have to you have to strike with with anything. There obviously is good and evil in the world, and I consider these regulators mostly to be uh, just evil, bad people. Absolutely. To ruin lives. Well, and, I mean, the shot has already come across the bow. We reported a few weeks ago when I believe it was in, God, I don't even remember which case it was, Bittrex. I think it was uh, the SEC versus oh, yeah. Bittrex, where they specifically singled out Dash. There were a few other cryptos they mentioned, but mm-hmm. I didn't recognize them. 
Uh, but I definitely saw Dash in there, and they claim that Dash is a so-called security, which just seems absolutely ridiculous to me. Uh, it's not a case against Dash. They haven't sued you know, any Dash-related people or Dash's organizations or anything like that. They just made the allegation in this other case against this one cryptocurrency exchange. They claim that Dash is a quote-unquote security. So there's definitely yeah. a shot across the bow. Whether that, is going, whether that portends whether they're going to actually try to target Dash in some way, shape, or form is, uh, is another question. But, I mean, the reality is even if they did do that, uh, the fact is Dash is decentralized, even though there are, uh, you know, there's what, like 4,000-something masternodes out there. They're not all based in the United States. It takes quite a bit. I mean, in the original days, it would have been cheap to get a masternode at 1,000 Dash, but now it's a little pricey. Um, so, I mean, to, to get into that particular uh, aspect of sort of controlling Dash, you, you have to be pretty serious about it. I don't think the SEC is going to just start buying up masternodes to uh, to outvote the uh, the existing structure. So, I mean, even if they do come at Dash, what's the worst that uh, that you think might happen? Well, uh, I think that you know they they want it to be classified as a security so that they can make it miserable for people to use it in a daily uh, setting like it was intended to do it's obviously not a security but they want it to be a security so that basically people can't use it and you know it it all kind of depends on how dystopian our alternatives are like the more dystopian the u.s dollar system becomes the more people are going to look for alternatives Mm -hmm. regulations be damned um but that said you know i everybody does want it not to be regulated. They're going to do what they're going to do, but I'm not going to live my life um, thinking, you know, am I violating some obscure clause in, you know, some regulatory uh, law book? I'm just not going to live my life that way. And I I don't think a lot of other people are going to either. It will come down to the threats of violence, obviously, at at some point. And, you know, if, if I'm if I'm at some point required to not ever touch cryptocurrency, like our friend, that's like, I can't even believe that you're not allowed to use cryptocurrency in, but yeah, it's uh, ironic because like if, if I were accused of robbing a bank or something like that, they would still let me use the dollar while I was awaiting trial. <laughs> right. Yeah. But uh, right, yeah. it's super ridiculous. Yeah. I've, <laughs> where, where they come up with these things. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, I think it's uh, very much like our, our current regulatory cloud of uncertainty. A lot of it just comes down, I think, to the fact that they have no idea what this is. They have no idea what it's capable of, what it can do, or how it works. And since they don't know how it works, oh, you are a wizard. Well, don't let him have his wand. There we go. <laughs> yeah, it's like they're trying yeah. to shoehorn the internet into whatever framework they created for the telegraph. It's yeah, just two no, that's literally, different- literally security. Security's law is almost a hundred years old. Yeah, it's seriously. Yeah, uh, I think that's a charitable way to put it. Like they don't know what they're doing. I, some, I, I tend to think that they do know what they're doing. It's they know exactly what they're doing. They're trying to stifle uh, competition to the U.S. dollar, which you know we are, and that's really what they're trying to do. Mm. Um, and I think that they do know what they're doing. I, I don't subscribe to the naive theory that. 
regulators are just trying to do their best and they're kind of bumbling no idiots. doubt no doubt uh thank you shortwave surfer for the call tonight i do appreciate it uh let's get into the banks as a question here because i know that was something you'd uh, wanted to talk about and that is to say uh the idea of phasing out i think was the terminology that the dash incubator account used the legacy banks i mean one of the original visions for bitcoin as a currency was that we'd be able to undermine the the banks we don't need them anymore we can you know walk away from it we were talking earlier about creating an infrastructure so businesses can accept cryptocurrencies, so people can get paid in cryptocurrency and sort of close that loop so people don't always have to be checking in and out by using the on and off ramps into and out of uh, fiat currency. We know the banks are in trouble financially because of the, the whole fiat system with the interest rate hikes after the zero interest rates for a very, very long time. And we've seen, uh, what, three banks, I think, crumble in just the last couple of months or two or three Another months. Another one's doing the teeter-totter. We're hoping, at least. Um, so, I mean, wh- where do you want to go with this? I know you wanted to comment on it, so I'll just leave you, give you the open uh, question. Yeah, I don't I don't actually specifically have any um, agenda with, with the banks necessarily. I know that we tweeted that out. It was specifically Amanda that, that runs our um, Dash Incubator account. She kind of phrased it that way, but um, I I'm more just looking for better solutions. I'm, I'm not really out to, to demolish the banks. I just want to build something uh, better in their stead so that we don't need to use them. And I think that's, you know, self-custody solutions. But I will say that, you know, uh, along the political spectrum, you have a lot of people who hate corporations and they're typically called the left uh, and they think corporations are evil. And then you have people on the right, and this is a grand oversimplification, obviously. And then the people on the right, they hate the government and they want the government out of anything. But the, the reality of the, of the situation is that we are ruled in this, in this country and pretty much every country by an unholy alliance of both corporations and governments. And the, the nexus of that unholy alliance is central banking. Um, Mm -hmm. That is the marriage between government and corporations because corporations these days, they are not much more than an extension uh, and extension offices of the government. Why? Because that's where they get their funding. They get their funding from like corporations mostly get their funding not from consumers, but from bankers. They get loans at very cheap interest rates and uh, are able to sustain their operations and grow their operations until you get to megacorps like Google and Microsoft that are owning the world and that are governments unto themselves, but they're really just subsidiary gov- uh, subsidiaries to our United States governments through the central banking system and the commercial banking system. That whole thing has to end. And the only way to end that is to come up with a better alternative uh, banking system and economic system. And that's exactly what I'm talking about with Dash, um, not just with Dash, but with any cryptocurrency that, that wants to wants to uh, tackle this. We need a system that does something very similar to what our traditional economy does and our traditional economy uh, how it works is the government gets money, uh, or the, 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 the commercial banking system gets money from the central banks. Then they're able to make loans 
to corporations and then those corporations grow uh, to be very, very big and um, they don't really need customers at that point. And so they just, they hire people to basically spy on America. Uh, and that's kind of what we have with the technocracy um, aspect of, that what, what, we, what we have with these huge corporations. And why does it, why does it work? Well, because you can just employ a bunch of people uh, from this money that's printed out of thin air. Um, but the problem is that it's bad people that are doing this. And so the counter, the counter, the counter to this and the, like the optimistic side of it is that we can do the same thing uh, just being controlled by the good people. So it's like, it's kind of like firearms, you know, um, firearms are not good or bad. It just it depends on who's wielding the firearm mm-hmm. and what they're trying to do with it. I think of the same thing with printing presses. You know, the printing press is not good or bad. It's it's who wields the printing press and what they're funding with the printing press. And we know that the that the Federal Reserve has a monopoly on money creation right now. Um, but if we had a printing press ourselves, like um, something like Dash with the the Superblock system that we've talked about, if we could expand that um, mm. even beyond the uh, the sacred um, coin supply curve that's that was just created by one person uh, ten years ago, then uh, we could have a system where anybody who wants to create value um, in the economy, in our new economy of good people economy, anybody who wants to create value, we give them, we create money for them, just like hmm. just like in the old system where. They just create money and they fund bad people to do bad things. Hmm. We can create money, fund good people to do do good things. And of course, one of the key differences is that the old system, you're forced to use. You know, you're under the gun, literally. There's a gun to your head saying if you have a debt with somebody, you have to accept our dollar in payment uh, for that debt. Whereas with cryptocurrency, if you like the vision of Dash, if you like the direction that it's going in, you can support it. If you don't like it, you're not obligated to. No one from Dash is ever going to show up at your front door with a, you know, men with guns and a paddy wagon <laughs> they better uh, to, not. to throw you in, in a cage. And that's because the competition is big time in the cryptocurrency field. There's so many different yeah. options. It's actually overwhelming uh, how many options they have. Now, with this idea of changing the issuance, uh, changing the, the treasury amounts, is that something that's as simple as making a proposal to the masternodes and then it gets implemented? I mean, is, is it just, you know, if you have one dash, you could, you could, in theory, throw this out there? It would, and, and, and that's how you would do it, is you would, you would put in a proposal, you'd make your pitch, and you'd say, I think we should do this. And, you know, this is just software. Software can always be changed. Um, now, I haven't put that proposal in. Why not? Because I don't think that people are ready for this yet. Mm-hmm. People are still way too steeped in this idea of, well, because the government money printer goes burr and do, di, does that to such a degree that it dilutes the purchasing power of dollars, they think that because the government doing that, wielding their um, their printing press that all printing presses must be bad mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we must not be able to do that. Therefore we have to su- cap our supply. And, but all that does is it, it makes it uh, an insular system where the people that got in really early in the mining, um, they own all the coins. And um, like your co-host was saying, 
they, you know, in a system that's like proof of stake or in a system that like Dash, uh, the, the masternode owners, they get coins just for holding coins. Well, they get more coins and they get more coins. So it becomes uh, uh, a system where it's just a few people that want to get rich from other a few other small retail people that are buying their bags. I don't want that kind of system. I want to. Well, I want to hold on. I'm, I'm confused here. How does uh, removing the total cap change that? Removing the total cap changes that because let's say, let's say, um, let's take an extreme example to illustrate the point. Let's say that every every corporation, every um, not corporation, but every business in in New Hampshire. Let's say we we put in a proposal and we said, hey, we want to convert all of your um, businesses to just be completely dash the, the dash economy businesses. You're going to um, you're going to pay all your employees um, in dash. Those employees are then going to spend it at other places around New Hampshire, and we're going to create a circular economy there. That's all going to like the 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 cost to do that would be enormous. But what would be the benefit? Uh, we would have to create a bunch of, of coins to do that. But what would be the benefit? The benefit would be a bunch of new people would get some coins. Um, and, you know, you could extend extend this to even like just all of New Hampshire. We want we want to create um, all of New Hampshire um, businesses uh, into a dash economy. Uh, it's, a, it's a silly a contrived example, but it, it's, the, it's illustrating the point that um, you're getting new users you're creating coins and getting new users that does dilute, uh, dilute the, the existing coin holders, but that's a good thing because you're, you're bringing more people into the dash economy. But you have to remember Peakless, he had a twofold proposal. So on one side, he wanted to get rid of the, the cap of the ultimate maximum amount of dash. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, he also wanted to increase the dash treasury right now. Every block, 10% goes into this monthly treasury where there's a budget and people make proposals for. Mm-hmm. He wanted to increase that and essentially take that away from the miners and maybe some from the master nodes. I'm not sure exactly where where, you know, what your proposal would be there, but the idea would be that extra treasury money would be how other people would uh, would be creating value with Dash, whether yeah, it be still, doing advertising for it I or whatever. I still don't see, uh, even with both of those, I don't see how that uh, negates the, uh, like, like very much like you were saying, okay, so you get in early, you get a bunch of the early mining when it's uh, nice and easy, you put a bunch of those in these master nodes, so you're staking it, so you're getting more and more because of this staking process, Okay, so you still have this same group of people just getting richer and richer, getting a larger and larger portion of the dash uh, as time goes on. Now, if you if you cap it or not, you still end up with that as the outcome. If you change the the amount that gets spent uh, by the uh, decentralized autonomous organization or not, you still have that problem. Okay, so what I'm suggesting here. Uh, and again, this is I'm nowhere near uh, ready to propose this. I'm just um, kind of firing this off uh, to your folks here because I think it's an interesting concept. Um, what I'm proposing is not increasing necessarily the amount that's going to the master nodes. I mean, I'm proposing to increase the amount that's going to uh, people who are pr- making proposals. Um, so let's just take an example. Like, um, sorry, I I don't know your name. Um, the other uh, Pickless Mountaineer. Peakless Mountaineer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what what do you 
what do you do? Um, out, do you do um, uh, massage therapy? Massage therapy. Okay. So, what if what if we had you um, be paid? What what if Dash paid you to do your to do your job? So, like, we want um, we want a massage therapist that is accepting Dash, um, and we need to get you set up to, for that and. Um, basically, uh, we want you to be able to, uh, give massages, um, to anybody who's willing to pay in dash. You might already do that already, but uh, what I'm saying is <laughs> you're providing value. Loudly uh, and proudly. I, I'm happy to get crypto. Well, my, my issue though, is like, not that like there are all of these amazing things that you can definitely do by having this decentralized autonomous organization, by funding it better as you're proposing. I get that, but I don't see how that, uh, how that changes the problem of, uh, the, the stakers uh, getting a greater and greater accumulation of the total dash as time goes. Well, on. I, th- I think there's also an important thing here. And that is that the people who are running masternodes are not just stakers right they're actually performing a service for the network uh and i don't know if you do you have time to keep this conversation going ryan uh sure yeah all right so we're gonna keep this going here and hopefully we can clear this up if possible Uh, because i think it's an excellent objection and it's a good uh tough question here we'll continue that here in moments and if you want to join the show you can the number is 603-283-6160 ryan sovereign is with us from dash incubator there's more on the way it is free talk live Free Talk Live. Uh, the phone's here, 603-283-6160. If you have a question for Ryan Sobert, he's with us from Dash Incubator. Uh, you can join us online, of course, over at freetalklive.com. If you appreciate what we do here on Free Talk Live, you can join our AMPS program. It's uh, Advertise, Market, Promote, and Support. That's what AMPS stands for. David Zintara is a platinum-level supporter of AMPS. And that means that David is contributing way more than what we ask. We only ask for 5 bucks a month. He's doing 25 So thank you, David, for supporting what we do here on Free Talk Live. You can do that over at amps.freetalklive.com. That takes you to our Patreon. You can get signed up there with uh, your debit card, credit card, or uh, your PayPal account. Unfortunately, we can't take cryptocurrency at the moment due to the various different government threats uh, against us. But I do appreciate David helping us out there. And, of course, you can also contribute, uh, if you don't like Patreon, you can go through our Odyssey channel over at video.freetalklive.com. And that way, Odyssey benefits instead of Patreon benefiting from the fees and such. Uh, You can do that by clicking the Join button at the top of the page on our Odyssey channel at video.freetalklive.com. So we have Ryan with us here from Utah he stuck with us, but you know what I did? I didn't write down what we were just talking about, so I've completely spaced. Uh, were we in the middle of a question? Yeah, yeah. I was. Uh, I, I was suggesting that I. Uh, well, I was asking how the, oh, how yeah. this would change the the problem of like especially early stakers since they got a larger portion of the stake. But in general, the the problem of stakers getting more of the currency and that just accumulating more and more and thus centralizing dash more and more and you're referring to ryan's proposal to sort of open up dash uh, as far as not having a limit of uh, maximum limit of dash which is currently 18 million and also um, increasing to uh, the treasury more than just 10 percent of the mining rewards which in theory could allow for 
more um, things like sponsoring Free Talk Live or or whatever. So with that question, Ryan, go ahead uh, with your thoughts. Yeah, yeah, I made the mistake of of trying to use a use an example uh, for your job, um, Peakless Mountaineer, uh, because you're already doing that. So let me let me uh, use an, a, a better example. Let's say Elon Musk uh, tweets at us and says, "Hey, just discovered this Dash project. Uh, like, I would like to." integrate this into all of Twitter's platforms. Um, and we'll do tipping in, in Dash and we'll, we'll pay our content creators in Dash and all this stuff, right? How much money do you think that would cost just to do? Any, how much money do you think that would cost um, either uh, Elon's team or anybody to, to execute that? Million dollars? $2 million. You mean like programming know. the changes and rolling it's them out? The that changes. Kind of, that'd be a um, huge investment. Like accounting changes, all that kind of stuff. Seems pretty simple programming to me, but. Well, okay. They, they've got a big operation. Probably cost more than $100,000. Can you go with me on that? Okay. For sure. Okay. Um, Going to cost a lot of money just to, just to implement that. Um, and let's say he doesn't want to do it, but he wants Dash to fund it. He wa- He wants to put in a proposal and say, hey, I want to do this. Um, can you fund? Can you fund Twitter to do it? Because you know Twitter's on uh, life support right now, and we're trying to make it, trying to find ways to make it profitable. So, can Dash help us fund this? And we have to say, uh, actually, we can't because we have this weird limit. Um, and even though we know that if we actually, if that actually happened, um, Dash's price might uh, might double, but we can't do. We can't give you. Um, five hundred thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars worth of dash for you to do this. Um, sorry. So that's the problem with the, with the limit right now in in our super block. Right now, I think um, the limit is something like four thousand dash per mm-hmm. month, forty five hundred. So forty five hundred right. times forty five dollars, two hundred thousand dollars a month. So we could, you know, if it cost him a million dollars, yeah, maybe we could have a put in a, uh, a four month proposal, but then that squeezes every other proposal out. And so you have this problem. So maybe you need to make it a 12 month proposal. Maybe then he's walking away from the table. Um, whereas, you know, if we could just create that, whatever, 100 uh, or $1 million, let's just say is what he's asking for and divide that by $45 per dash. He's asking for 22,000 dash. Okay. Would creating that twenty-two thousand dash, um, would that would that increase the price of dash, or would that decrease the price? And then to getting to your question, is that twenty-two thousand dash is that going to current masternode owners? No, it's going to Elon Musk and his team of programmers, all of which are new users, and um, so that's actually increasing the distribution of Dash. So it's actually making the coin distribution more fair. Um, it's not going to the masternode owners. It's going to these proposal owners that are asking for the money. So that's, I don't know if that answers your question, but mm-hmm. nope. that's kind of the spirit of, of what I'm proposing here is 
Like I, I get how that would uh, how that would increase the desire for it, how that would uh, advance it, how that would uh, be good for the world. I get how that would do a lot of things. What I don't get is okay. Let me let me give you a, a hypothetical here. Uh, let's say I'm one of the very early dash miners, and I manage to get not like a majority or anything, but like a larger amount than anyone happens to have, and I put it all in my in my master node, right? So now I'm getting more every time it gets minted because of my masternode. And okay, well, I'm just going to turn that around and stake some more of that in some more masternode. So how do uh, can you see how that would accumulate a greater and greater amount to me as compared to anyone else? You being an early, early miner and... Uh- and, and having right, a it's, of it's sort of a whoever's ahead in the game just gets further and further ahead in the game. Yes, that, that's what happens in a, in a pure proof of stake system. But that's not what I'm that's not what we either have nor what I'm suggesting. Um, so I don't know. Maybe there's a miscommunication. Well, I mean, th- th- this seems to, to do sort of a, a half and half between uh, proof of stake and and uh, proof of work. Yeah, it, it's 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 half and half. Like proof of stake, it's it's part proof of work. So part of the newly issued currency is going to miners. Part of it's going to masternodes, which you know that's your to your point. And when a masternode gets payments for the for the coins that he has in his savings and and backing masternodes, he is able to eventually um, get more of the coin supply and maybe even spin up even more masternodes. Right, and so right. that is part of the that's the problem that you're describing. Yes. I'm describing the solution, <laughs> whether you know it or not. Um, what I'm saying is that there there are those two parts, but there's a third part that maybe you're not familiar with. The third part is the super block, which is the treasury, which is the DAO. They they go under these right, the the ten percent that the masternode uh, owners vote where it goes. So yes. so and that that actually doubles the problem with this because if I have this masternode and I can spin up more masternodes with the the dash that I'm getting from my masternode then I end up with more and more votes on what happens to this other chunk which is one reason why his proposal would be difficult to uh, to get right. passed, right? So I mean, like, over no, 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 no. Of of that, that is why it's difficult to pass. But that's because the masternode hunters don't, ex- well, don't right, understand like, my explanation. Over Just a long enough like, period of time, if I'm ahead, I end up having the vast majority of all of the dash that exists because I can, uh, like, w- w- a miner, like, they get their chunk, but they have to spend that. Like, some of it they mm. have to spend on uh, the electricity that it keep- takes to keep mining. Some of it they have to spend to get new miners. Like, they mm. have to, there has to be a churn with that. Whereas yes. with uh, with staking, the there's bills. no churn. I don't have to spend one, I, I don't know what the smallest unit of a dash is. There's uh, a cost to running you, the master nodes, but it's not. Spend crazy. a little bit to run the masternode, yeah. but I get your point. I, I think we actually have the same concern, um, but I'm I'm not able to explain it well enough, I guess, because what I'm suggesting is uh, that we create more coins. So let's say that we let's say we we change the distribution to be thirty three percent, thirty three percent, thirty three percent going to each of these constituencies. Now masternodes are getting less. And the treasury is getting more, and the miners are getting less. The treasury is getting more. Where is that going? That's going to create value. Otherwise, uh, we wouldn't be approving those projects. Um, so, I, 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 there are there are a couple things wrong with your um, 
with my interpretation of what you're saying, the one thing is it's not really in the interest of a masternode owner to want to um, just keep all the coins for themselves, uh, Scrooge McDuck style. The reason is they they want they want distribution just like everybody else wants distribution because the perception um, is is important. Like nobody wants to be the dash masternode owners don't necessarily want to be perceived as like, Oh, there's only, there's only a thousand of us that have any coins. Um, at least in my opinion, they don't want that um, because that would actually be detrimental to the value of the coins they're okay, holding. Well, then I'll just pretend to be multiple people. Well, I will say this as somebody who's been paying attention to dash over the years. Uh, I, I don't think the masternode numbers have really grown. I think they've stayed relatively steady. I know that uh, several years ago uh, it was around 4,000 and change, and it's still around 4,000 and change today, several years later. So if it doesn't seem to be that they've been you know, doubling or tripling or whatever in on the, uh, the number of masternodes that are out there, whether that's for any kind of economic reason or what those reasons are, would you say that's that's been true? Ryan, as long as you've been watching, yeah, it, it peaked out about five thousand maybe mm-hmm. a year ago, and it's been on a on a little bit of a decline to about four thousand, uh, and actually I think it's less than that now. Um, so yeah, it, it went up, and then it's 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 on its way back down. It's kind of leveling off now, but I'm not I'm still not sure. I mean, we, we probably have to spend a little bit more time getting to the to the crux of your of your concern here. Uh, I would like to res- help resolve that, but well, can we also um, mention? I mean, what, what a masternode isn't just standard staking, right? Like your mm-hmm. typical proof of stake is, as I understand, proof of stake. Anybody with a laptop or whatever can roll up uh, whatever, yeah, whatever Valid. we're talking about, whichever yeah. coin. Uh, the proof of stake. You you put the full note on your laptop or your desktop computer. You set it and you forget it. Right, and then the more you've got in the program, yeah. the more you earn in the uh, every block that comes out, or whatever the the deal is. With the masternodes, you do have to, uh, or th- these things are providing some services. And as I understand it, uh, Chainlocks, which is one of the Dash technologies that I don't think anyone else has adopted, although they probably should, to protect Dash from fifty one percent attacks, has something to do with the masternodes, does it and, not? And, and- what yes. is that exactly? Yeah, can you briefly explain? I mean, without, are, I know it's technical, but can you talk yeah. about that? There are there are three main features, I would say, actually probably four uh, main features of what masternodes do. First is the first and foremost is private send. So that's that was the feature that allows uh, CoinJoin to be on the protocol and not have to have a custodial mixing service uh, if you want privacy. So that's that's the first thing that masternodes do. The second thing is they ha- they They offer instant send transactions, which means if I send a transaction to you, you that transaction is confirmed within one or two seconds. You can then respend that and send that to to somebody else one to two seconds and so forth and so forth. Um, And so basically it's it's like instant settlement. Hmm. Now, that's one level of security for transactions. Then there's blocks and blocks are blocks are groups of transactions Blocks are confirmed with traditional proof of work mining in in um, in Dash, and those blocks uh, in in normal systems, like let's take Bitcoin Cash for example, a Bitcoin Cash block is not to be considered secure. One even one block, let alone one a one to two second transaction 
propagated through the network. Even if you have um, a one confirmation, that's not necessarily secure um, because chain reorganizations can happen. And then that double spends can happen with through a 51% attack. We don't need to get into all the details there, but those blocks are only probabilistically going to be confirmed. In Dash, it's different. When a block is propagated uh, through the network, the master nodes look at that block and they say, I've seen that block. And I've also seen that it's valid, that the transactions within that block are valid. I'm going to put my stamp of approval on that. And then that, um, that same thing is happening with the other 4,000 master nodes. And when a certain percentage of those master nodes say, hey, we've all seen this same block, we're just going to stamp that and say, this is the canonical next block. And anything that tries to come along and say, and afterwards and say, hey, I have a new block and it has other transactions in it that are spending coins from that previous block, the master nodes are going to say, nope, uh, that uh, that block is not valid because we've already put our chain of uh, our stamp of approval on this other block. That's called chain locks, and it's what it, what's it's what prevents fifty one percent attacks. Um, now you might be asking yourself, huh, why can't we do that in Bitcoin or you know some of these other systems? And the answer is, um, you can't because you don't have master nodes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because master nodes provide the Sybil proof protection uh, of saying um, it's not going to be, it's not viable for any attacker to come along and say, I'm going to spin up um, 2000 nodes and trick the system into thinking that even though there was, um, let's, just, let me back up. If you wanted to do something like that on, on Bitcoin cash, an attacker could basically spin up a bunch of nodes and say, hey, I'm just as valid as the next node um, because a node's a node and it's free and you don't have to prove any collateral mm. behind the node. And so you have... And, and just to, to let uh, listeners know, a node is a record of the previous transactions that have happened on a given blockchain. Um, yeah, well, when I say node, I mean I mean a computer that's running the Dash uh, software or the Bitcoin Cash uh, software that's validating uh, transactions. It's okay. it's that's what I'm saying is a, is a node. All right. um, it has to have a full copy of the blockchain, so mm-hmm. it does. It does have right, the copy right. of the blockchain, yeah. so it, it, we're saying the same thing. But um, but yeah, like in Bitcoin Cash, anybody can just spin up a a full node, and it's just as valid as any other node on the network. And if you are a government uh, that wants to take down the network or just kind of mess with it. Um, or even if you're Bitcoin, BTC Bitcoin, and you're just sick and tired of Bitcoin Cash uh, stealing your branding and you just kind of decide, hey, let's let's mess with this coin because we we both use the same uh, SHA-256 hashing algorithm. Um, we're just going to send 10% of our mining hash power uh, and put that on the Bitcoin Cash blockchain and reverse some transactions. That could be easily done. The fact that it hasn't been done doesn't mean that it couldn't be done. It mm-hmm. could be done very easily. It's just that, that, that you're talking about the 51% attack in that case. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. And this is the and big so, fear and, that and, and, uh, people have. Uh, th- anybody that's done some basic research into cryptocurrency has probably learned of the 51% attack, whether they understand exactly how it works or not. But basically, you get 51% of the mining hash power on a particular network. And there's a website that'll show you what it costs if you were to just rent the hash power to take over essentially one of these smaller chains. The uh, the big claim that Bitcoin has is, what's that? 
take take over the chain for a certain amount of time. Right, right. And as long as you have that 51%, you can send uh, transactions to different places and, and things like that and cause a lot even, of trouble. Even transactions that have already been confirmed in other blocks, you wow. can you can respend them and say, uh, actually, send, send that to, you know, I just sent that over to Amazon, let's say, bought a gift card for $1,000. Uh, but now I want that thousand dollars. I'm going to respend that transaction, put it back to myself. Amazon's already given me the gift card, so I have the the thousand dollar gift card, and I get the thousand dollars of Bitcoin cash back. You can do that. It just costs you money, and it's not worth most people's time, so it doesn't happen. But if a government, well, and as you pointed involved, it out, it's for a period of time. So like yes. you can do that, but it, it won't be forever. It'll be for until they catch you, basically. Until yeah. there's enough uh, hash power on on the legitimate side, but because yeah. of the masternodes in Dash and this chain locks, Dash is protected because, like you said, you'd have to have the majority of the masternodes right to pull a similar scam yeah. on Dash. And in order to have just one masternode, you have to have a thousand Dash, which is what is that right now? That's like is that forty thousand uh, dollars? Yes, forty thousand dollars. So a thousand. Or 2,000 masternodes would be 40,000 times 2,000. Your average uh, hacker isn't going to be able to, to swing that one, basically. And it's not only that, it, because as you're purchasing those masternodes, you're, you're pushing the price up astronomically. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's almost impossible. Yeah, so that's why it's a little different from your typical kind of mm. proof of stake. Did that kind of clear something up about this? Yeah, it, it it clears a lot of it up. Yeah, but it also makes it sound uh, a lot more um, a lot more similar to the banking system. Because I mean, uh, their whole thing is that oh well, we have our trusted partners, and our trusted partners have like you know they're they're part of our company, and they uh, we've checked their security and so on and so forth, and that's why okay, well it's on it's on this ledger that is a private ledger, not a distributed ledger, and it's uh, and okay, this is part of our system, and they've uh, authenticated and shown their security. Okay, they're allowed to change this ledger on our private ledger, uh, so this. This kind of sounds like uh, uh, more similar to that as compared to, say, uh, uh, Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash or something. Mm. Well, I, I mean, we, we could get a little bit more into that, but it, I, I don't think it's anything like it, actually, uh, because none of this is permission stuff, right? You can go spin mm. up a masternode if you want. Yeah, that, that, is, that is a huge difference is that the, the bank, because it is – because like this is, this is thousands of, of independent or you know, theoretically independent nodes, whereas theirs – I mean, even if it's 5,000 computers, it's all under one controller. So if that yeah. one controller says, I don't like you, you don't get to have this money – then you don't get to have this money and you can't spend that no matter how hard you try. Ryan, there's also uh, something that came along in recent years, if I recall correctly, that allows for uh, people to take part ownership in a masternode. So the old way is you got to have a thousand dash, but now you can team up with other people, I think with as little as one dash, right? There's some like organization. Crowdsource a masternode? Yeah, isn't that right? Yeah, there, there's an organization called Crowdnode mm-hmm. and they, they facilitate this. And there are two different types of services that they offer. The one that you just talked about where you can just deposit one dash and start getting um, a yield like up to, I think it's close to six or 7%, 7% um, a yield on your one dash. 
you have to send that dash to CrowdNode. It is a trusted service. Mm, okay. Um, so it's not it's not great in that sense. But at, at 100 dash, so not not 10, but 100 dash, uh, but certainly not a thousand. Uh, at 100 dash, you can set up what's called a trustless uh, masternode share. And that is, you can keep your your 100 dash. You just have to do some signatures and stuff, um, and then you keep p- possession of your of your 100 dash, and you're getting the yield on it. Bad. So that's not bad. So I mean, four thousand dollars is probably improved. within the ra- the range of more people than forty thousand. That's mm-hmm. that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, I think that does clarify that there is some you know decentralization to this system uh, that is ultimately protecting the dash network. I think we've yep. talked about a lot of really interesting things here. Did you guys have any other uh, final last minute questions for I, Ryan? I've learned so much. I just want to say thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it's been a pleasure being on and uh, happy to happy to come on again if you guys ever have any questions. Um, I didn't mean to necessarily be, um, you know, talk about Dash so much on this. I think there is a grander a grander vision here. Dash is just the vehicle that I, I choose to drive right now because it seems the most uh, the most performant. Um, along my goals. And my goal is not to just uh, be a cheerleader for Dash. My goal is to have peace and prosperity in society. And that it will only occur um, by creating a new economic system. Mm-hmm. The, the one that we have is is unsalvageable. Yeah. Uh, you have to create a new one and it has to be a viable one. And what the kind of the things that we've talked about today are, <laughs> I would say, advanced level topics that um, a lot of cryptocurrency people would reject, um, but I think it's through my 10 years of experience, I think it really is the only way forward uh, because we need to get more people into this uh, economy. And to get more people into this economy, we need to pay more people in the currency. And to pay more people in the currency, you need to create more of the coins. That does sound like a disservice to the existing holders but in the long run, that small amount of dilution or even a large amount of dilution is best for everyone, not just the new people that are getting new coins, but also the existing people. It's an interesting argument. I appreciate it. Uh, very persuasive. Thank you, Ryan, for joining us here tonight. You're welcome. Check Thanks them out at the, uh, the Dash Incubator. Their Twitter account is at Dash Incubator. And uh, we got more coming up here, and phones are going to be open. You can call in and bring up anything you want here on Free Talk Live at 603-283-6160. Hour number three is coming up. Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live, and you can join the show here. About the third hour, the number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. You can join us online. Just head over to freetalklive.com. Enjoy the various features that we have there for you. Totally free. Archives going back for many years and more. All at freetalklive.com. We're going to go to your phone calls and thoughts. But with you here tonight, it's Ian. Peakless Man there. And the Reverend Captain Kickass is also here. And coming up uh, later on tonight, we have Beard Talk Live. I believe you guys are going to be joined by Zephan. That is indeed the plan. That's the legend, anyway. Allegedly. He's legendary. There's no doubt about it. He is a legend. He's like the top liberty activist with the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance. Uh, doing more bill reviews yeah. every year than I think almost everyone else combined. Correct. Yeah. If Correct. I'm recalling he does correctly. all of them. 
and he loves it. Like this <laughs> yeah. is that is literally his <laughs> leisure activity. Yeah. He is something else. We love uh, having him on Beard Talk Live. As yeah. Well. yeah. So that's later tonight. That's 1030 Eastern time when uh, we'll get into what you guys will be able to get into whatever the hell topics we were going to get into on the, the radio show tonight. Show enough. After having uh, doing, done a little geeking out there with the, I the crypto I do want to say real quick, though, that like it's uh, what I call immemorial weekend. Oh, Because yeah. like everybody just no thinks one has it's, ever remembered it. Yeah. Everybody thinks it's get drunk and barbecue weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... I had this crazy idea because of my anti-statist views that on you know Memorial Day or Labor Day or Veterans Day, uh, I've seen a lot of, I want to say entitled veterans, right? Who like, mm-hmm. like, let me see your veterans menu, right? You know, mm-hmm. kind of a thing where mm-hmm. like they're, they're- I want my discount. They're, they're bitchy about it, really, mm-hmm. is what I'm saying, right? They, they, you know, and so I thought of this great sort of reverse idea where if you're an establishment- uh, you just go ahead and make up a veteran's menu, but the prices are like double. <laughs> <laughs> there that, have is, been some, that is the libertarian way to do it right there. There have been some places uh, that have refused to serve police yeah. uh, in other towns or like, whatever. Oh, you served the bankers and the warlords in government? Oh, twice the price for you. Mm. You yeah. get all of your money stolen from other people? Hmm. Twice the price. Now, of course, not everybody who's a veteran is, you know toting the flag or whatever there's, there's a lot of Agreed. them that have realized as uh, i think it was general smedley butler yes. back in the day who wrote the book war is a racket yep. mm-hmm. uh where he revealed that he knew that he was being used as a corporate hitman basically yep. mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of guys that get in and they, they kind of uh, see the truth hats off to smedley butler for at least not making us an officially fascist nation do you know about that? Uh, it's uh, alternately called the business plot or the Wall Street coup. I don't know. Or uh, sorry, the Wall Street putsch. Uh, yeah, so a bunch of uh, a bunch of very powerful businessmen in America, and you can Wikipedia this. It's it's an official part of history that just doesn't get talked about. But yeah, a whole bunch of uh, very very powerful people, I believe, including Prescott Bush, uh, the uh, grandfather of W. I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, very powerful American uh, business people got together and said, you know we really just need to overthrow this government and replace it with a fascist government. Now, this was before America had defined itself as not fascist by winning against the Germans in World War II. So uh, 1933 is when this happened. And they're like, yeah, let's just overthrow this. We'll replace it with a fascist government so that things work properly. And the plan was to make Smedley Butler the new Fuhrer of America, basically. And he turned them in. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, oh, they gee, came to whistleblower. Him. Yeah, yeah, they came to him and they're like, "Yeah, we want to make you the uh, the uh, top dog of he this new uh, of this new government." Yeah, yeah, he turned them all amazing. in. Uh, wouldn't you know it? They never saw court. I bet. Yeah, I put uh, Smedley Butler and John Taylor Gatto sort of you know on my Mount Rushmore wall of uh, you know revelation, if mm-hmm. you will. Uh, those folks who were inside the system and realized what it was and what they were doing, and then. Went ahead and let everybody know. Snowden should be up there, Snowden too. Snowden should be up there. Let's mm-hmm. go to the phones here. David's on the line in San Francisco. David, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead. Yeah, all right. Yeah, it's uh, funny you're talking to Smedley Butler. If I remember right, that, uh, what was it, 1932 Putsch or 33 or whatever it was. Yeah, 33. Uh, yeah, that uh, those documents uh, from the Senate are still considered top secret. They uh, have never released the uh, uh, the hearings 
the uh, and it's it's funny. Uh, similarly, in the JFK assassination, you know, they still haven't released all of the documents. And one of the main uh, culprits, uh, if you're into the JFK hearings, uh, was the Pepsi Cola bottling company. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a mysterious meeting the night before. Uh, uh, Kennedy was killed, and uh, it was at the JFK Bottlers Convention uh, after party at uh, Clinton Murchison's house. And uh, so I expect that the remaining top secret documents of the JFK assassination are tied to the Pepsi bottlers. Hmm. But um, Well, let's point out, I mean, they got their fascist government. It just took them a little longer. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. they got the fascist government. Yeah. They just didn't get the official fascist government. They didn't get, a coup, they didn't get to coup it into yeah. place. Yeah. They, uh, and, yeah. and that's exactly what, uh, uh, time. what Ryan was talking about, where, like, there is no distinguishable difference and separation between corporations and government, because the corporations do the will of the government. They sure do. And the government does the will of the corporation. So uh, that is exactly what Benito Mussolini said fascism was, was Mm -hmm. the uh, combination of state power and corporations. Agreed. Right. Yeah. And uh, and it was an imitation of something that was emerging between the the, uh, just before Mussolini was the uh, King Leopold. And King Leopold uh, pretended that he was uh, that what he held in. Uh, Africa, it was called the Belgian Congo, was his private estate, and that there were 15 million people living on there, but that no laws of Belgium applied to his private estate. Hmm. And he started hacking off hands, you know, if they didn't produce gold, if they didn't produce uh, wealth for him every day, uh, he would kill them. And uh, he apparently killed about half the people. Uh, they went from 15 million wow. down to uh, 7 million people in the couple of decades that uh, King Leopold had it. That old movie, uh, uh, Apocalypse Now, is based on uh, a, a book about it called uh, uh, Joseph Conrad's uh, Heart of Darkness. Mm. And uh, so it's this idea that not just a, a, a vast land like the Belgian Congo can be owned by a private individual, but that no laws applied to them, that he was their owner. And uh, and so the Mussolini and Rocco were jealous of that, and they tried to create a government based upon that fallacy, that uh, madness. And uh, so it's uh, when you start looking at the the current crop of people, like uh, the way we got rid of kings back in 17, well, before 1776, it was called the social contract, where that we, the people, uh, decide on certain things. In, in modern world, we decide to drive on the right hand. We decide to have red green and yellow uh, traffic lights. We decide to read right to left with, uh, uh, or excuse me, left to right. Well, hold on, hold on. You're, you're conflating custom and social contract. Uh, so, well, and and industry standard. Well, no, they are absolutely the different. So, uh, so social contract theory is a uh, it's a con, and what it states is that uh, you agree, whether you agree or not, to this contract by being a part of society. Now, that's that's, uh, and because you are part of this contract, it has the authority to do all of these terrible things to you. Now, 
a custom a contract, by the way, that has never been written down in any meaningful right. sense. I've right. never gotten and a copy. essentially means that the details of the contract are they tell you what to do and you do it. Right. That's whereas, what it is. No. whereas a custom, on the other hand, is something that society? I can voluntarily choose to stop doing. Are you part of society? I am part of a society, not what you would consider society, I think. Society well, is a let's... voluntary association of individuals who've come together for a common purpose. And what you're describing, because I know, you know, you've called the show before, David, and uh, you, what you're describing when you say society is you mean the government, the people no. that... No? I'm de- you remember, I'm not a Democrat. I'm a Green Party member. I don't I care what you are. With- I've probably dealt irrelevant. with more opposition. I've probably been arrested far more times than you have uh, for protesting the government. And, uh, and How many times I have you still, been arrested, David? Well, I'd say in and about 50 times. Well, that's pretty impressive. Well, you've got, you must have a much more important opinion. Well, I have the opinion that this government is supposed to belong to you and me, and that if there are and I uh, and that's fakers, impossible. There's no that evidence is for that. Fundamentally impossible. That is part of the con. That is part of the marketing that they do to get you to avoid trying to make something of your own that does the same things. Indoctrination. So, like, are there pretenders to the throne? The throne is a, a throne. pretense. The throne is a pretense. The idea that there are people who have different moral rules than you is a con job. Uh, Again, we the people own this country. Whether you what does that even mean? Yeah. Well, do you get? I own nothing with you. You don't get any of what's mine. I don't get any of what's yours. I don't want to own anything with David in San Francisco. And when you say we own the country, do you mean the people calling themselves the United States government? Because that's different from the country. Most people, when they think of the country, they mean like the land, the the hills, the mountains, you know, the ocean, that kind of lakes, etc. But the state... The United States federal government is a organization of people, and I have no ownership stake in that. I have no interest in owning a piece of that because it's a violent agency. Why would you want to own that? Uh, well, again, uh, that you and I can walk into any library, we can walk into a public courthouse, we can walk into the public swimming pool and, uh, and have use of it as uh, free, uh, free agent citizens of this United States of America. Not if you've got a gun on your hip, you can't walk yeah, into is, a courthouse. It's a, it is, not show an ID. Those are, those are privileges that are so granted to us by our trouble, rulers. David. If you're going to ask for trouble by wearing a court a gun into a courthouse, then that's your problem. So all of those things that you've wow. mentioned, those are privileges that can be revoked at any time by your rulers. No, it can't be. No, and, they absolutely can't. And for you can. to pretend that it can be, you don't understand you, the difference between a privilege the, and a right, then, David. I mean, the uh, dif- to go to the swimming pool, to go to the library. What do you think's going on in Florida where they're burning books? Where they're taking books off. So you the don't library. think a court can tell you you're not allowed to use the swimming pool anymore? Uh, well, if you want to ignore uh, an epidemic, let's say like three years worth of epidemic, I don't care what reasoning they have uh, or whether that's sound or not. The point is, they get to decide whether Who's or not they? they're used. Uh, the court. Do you ever? Do you ever go to a city council meeting and speak your mind? 
Yeah, and it means absolutely nothing. I've done it multiple times. Well, uh, I and I can tell you one thing: the court doesn't give a reputation. damn what you have to say. You don't own the court. They're going to do whatever they want to do, and they don't really care can what you your opinion your is. Can you ruin your reputation, or do other people do it for you? You know, uh, the, the, you don't control your reputation. The social contract. The, the real purpose I called was to to ask that guy who was trying to have his new kind of Bitcoin, his new cryptocurrency. What is the collateral? Right. And so what you're talking about in in terms of the social contract or America or anything else, you're trying to compare the money against the U.S. dollar. Right. And whether or not your new little cryptocurrency is going to be able to compare itself against the U.S. dollar. There is no now, comparison. Are you the uh, crypto dash itself is far superior to the United States dollar in almost every way, shape and form. But you're still trying to compare it against the dollar, right? No, I, I'm not trying to compare it at all. In fact, I think the dollar is antique. I think it is barbaric and needs to go away. It's a horrible way to transmit yeah, value. Well, what the collateral is, however, David, is mathematics. That's what the collateral is in cryptocurrency. So where do you get those numbers? Is it based upon any kind of reality? Is it based on the laws of physics? Mathematics is, is the, reality, the dude. Yeah. Mathematics of, is physics. Hello? Math. Mm, some of it is. Are you going to deny that math scammers. exists? Well, but is are there con artists, too? So, so, are hold, there, hold, there hold on. who will play fly-by-night so, numbers? Two things. You mean like the Federal Reserve? One, <laughs> uh, we're, we're not actually trying to compare this to money. What we are trying to do is solve the problems that are solved uh, not, as, not as effectively as we would like by money. Um, the, but I, I'd like to understand your question. What do you mean the collateral? Like, uh, uh, what is the collateral for the U.S. dollar? Well, I'll give you a big example that's coming up right now. The Saudi Arabians want to sell their oil, but they don't want to use the U.S. dollar as the reserve currency. They are right? threatening that, and I yeah. really hope they pull the trigger on it. Okay, so I would consider you're a saboteur, but let's keep that to <laughs> I am side. absolutely a saboteur for the United States federal government, without a doubt. They are the most murderous agency on the face of the earth, and I absolutely want to throw as many shoes into those gears as possible. And okay, my so relationship say, with them is completely involuntary. So say you're a farmer. And you've got a fair crop in, you know, you've put in soybeans, they get a decent price. But all of a sudden, the U.S. dollar uh, starts to shudder. It, it uh, can't decide whether to go up or down. And you are, are you're dealing with tonnage of real uh, soybeans, but you don't know what kind of price you're going to get from it because the uh, Kevin McCarthy pals are trying to jeopardize the collateral. Sounds of like I should price it in something else, like gold or Bitcoin or Dash. Okay, and what, what, uh, what region of the world do you live in? Well, are you a so Bitcoin actually works everywhere on Earth simultaneously, so that's not farmer? relevant to, to what you're saying. Okay, and so if somebody were to have uh, some Bitcoin, would they be able to buy gasoline to be able to have all of that uh, tonnage of, of soybeans hauled to another, uh, not just to uh, uh, another uh, state, but to another 
uh, to a port so that you could transfer well, it into tonnage into well, uh, let's, another let's run Let's run this on a, a, a more graspable to your mind hypothetical. Let's imagine that there is, say, the Swiss franc. And while uh, this dollar is currently very volatile and questionable, uh, the Swiss are being very, very conservative with their, their franc, and it's a nice, stable currency. Now, I could price in the Swiss franc, and you're right, I would have to translate that into dollars in order to buy American fuel. But that doesn't mean that pricing is less useful in that stable currency. Uh, if you want to uh, actually get something done rather than go through three or four different layers, uh, then uh, good luck with that. But what, my, my point again to the collateral, uh, the collateral of, uh, of what, what, what the Saudis are trying to do is to basically convince the world that the U.S. dollar is not worth it. They're right. Now, coincidentally, coincidentally, the House of Representatives, who are claiming to be patriots, are taking risks with the collateral of America. What is the that collateral that you keep talking yeah, about? Yeah, you keep using this term that you haven't told us what the heck you're talking about. Well, gosh, uh, have you ever heard of uh, the United States dollar as the reserve currency for the world? Yeah. Okay. So if you've got a few a few bucks in your wallet right now, are you going to just go out there and burn them, or are you going to you going to actually be able to use them? Buy a pack of uh, whatever you would buy. You right. Uh, so uh-huh. are you going to abandon? The uh, U.S. dollars, tangibly, yes. are you going to be able yes, to buy can, a, yes. Absolutely. Yes. Able, Those of us who to... are sane and understand that the dollar is backed by no collateral whatsoever, there is no uh, backing actually, whatsoever. No, I'll, I'll, I'll push uh, back on David. The United States dollar is backed by some form of collateral, and that is the full faith, force, and might of the government, and that is to say, all of the guns. You talk about murder. And I'm I mean, talking that's about not really... nuclear bombs. Oh, that collateral. Oh, okay. Okay. it's the not threat, and you can't exchange it. You can't exchange it for blood, though. You can't. It, no. I mean, it, it's violence is what backs the dollar. You're correct if, about that. Do you, but do you buy gasoline? Uh, so what about it? So when you go down to the gas station, do you know that you're getting a do- a gallon's worth? Do you know that the meter is properly clicking so that you actually get oh, a gallon? Are you going to try to tell me that we need to have the government to make sure that there's a gallon of gas coming out? I have, a, I have a gas tank that is a, a finite amount of gasoline, <laughs> and so when I'm empty, if I have a 15-gallon tank and I fill up my gas tank and it says I got about 15 gallons worth of gas on the pump, yeah, I'm pretty sure that that's how much gas I got, David. And if you didn't, and you wouldn't would stay happen? in business. Like if your if your quote unquote gallon is a quarter gallon or half gallon, <laughs> you won't stay in business. It's like for your weed dealer days. shorten your bag by a gram or whatever. You're like, well, dude, uh, come on. This is this has really happened. Was it down in uh, North Carolina when they had that uh, gasoline pipeline got sabotaged by that cyber hacker? Uh, that and uh, people in that region for about two weeks didn't know squat about what kind of gasoline. Yeah, you know, I don't get, care right? about. I don't care much. About about what you're talking about concerning the market because all of the evils that you're focusing on with regards to the market are tiny in comparison to the evils committed by government every freaking day. 
Well, your fear mongering doesn't impress me because I, I've been living through. Oh, we're not trying to convince you, David. Don't and, worry. And fear well, isn't actually what we're aiming at. What we're what we're aiming at is replacing this non-functional system with a functional system. So, like, uh, you were asking me, would I set my my dollar bills on fire? I would no sooner do that than to send my Bitcoin satoshis to an invalid address. Yeah. For the same reason, because both of them can be exchanged for goods and services that I value. The real fear-mongering going on here, David, is the threatening of by the United States to foreign entities that they're going to keep using the dollar or else. That's the real fear-mongering, and you're participating in it. We want a peaceful solution. We want the end of violence. We want voluntary associations in every possible human interaction, something government does not give you and never will. Thank you for the call tonight, David. Uh, the number here, if you want to join us, is 603-283-6160. You can, of course, bring up anything you want. And those of us that do understand that the dollar will likely not be the world reserve currency forever, that the Federal uh, Reserve, the federal government, are printing more and more of these dollars out over time. In fact, I think some people say that 40% of all of the dollars that exist today were printed within the last couple of years yeah. mm-hmm. during the whole COVID situation. People understand that that leads to prices going up because that is inflating the money supply would be wise to consider getting into something besides the dollar, and I don't mean other government currencies. And the the, uh, collateral really is certainty. Like, the the proof-of-work system adds more certainty to that blockchain than exists in any other part of human existence. Because this math that backs the system is absolutely certain. And the energy that did that math is higher than any other single endeavor. We got more coming up. You can join us here on Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live. You can join the show. We have time for you. If you want to join us at 603-283-6160. You can bring up anything you want to discuss at 603-283-6160. And Porcupine Real Estate is doing some webinars. You've been hearing us talk for years on this show about the migration of liberty-oriented people, people who understand what liberty actually is, that government is, of course, a violent organization and needs to be ended uh, peacefully, of course. It's not just that it's a violent organization. It's that it's based on violence. It's a fundamental part. It's in a monopoly on violence. Yes. And uh, if you understand these things, you ought to move together with like-minded people because it makes a huge difference to actually have a community of people together in the same place that agree with these ideas. And so the folks over at Porcupine Real Estate are going to make it easy for you. They're going to answer your questions on their upcoming webinars and present to you some of the reasons why you ought to be considering a move here to New Hampshire, like uh, some of the gun freedoms that we have here in New Hampshire, medical freedoms, political freedom victories. They'll also be talking about best practices for moving to the free state and finding housing. You can sign up for these webinars. They are free to attend. All you got to do is go to move.freetalklive.com, and that'll take you right over to the Porcupine Real Estate website. 
with the sign up page there. Just get signed up and then you can attend. If you got questions, you can ask ask those questions of the what I would call experts at uh, Porcupine Real Estate. They know the the lay of the land, they know the real estate market and they're also free staters. They're people who've migrated here largely to uh, you know, achieve more liberty in their lifetime. So they know the community. They know what's going on and it's a, it's a great resource. Plus, you can also watch the uh, previous episodes or the previous webinars uh, going to their YouTube channel which is called Porcupine Real Estate. So you can see what they've already done get a feel for it and then go get signed up for the upcoming ones at move.freetalklive.com let's go to the phones here real, real quick yes. before you go to the phones i just want to say one more thing about yes, our previous please. caller david from san francisco yeah uh he mentioned the social contract repeatedly oh he's obsessed with it uh, i just want to for our listeners pure fantasy for our listeners a contract is an agreement between two parties which is signed off on by those two parties yes you have to have an offer you have to have consideration you have to have acceptance a meeting of the minds i believe and none of which are present with and, the social contract right. right exactly and so it doesn't even meet the definition of no. contract no, but right. yet it uses the word right it's not a social contract it's a lie yeah and a a custom on the other hand so if i decided that i wanted to write from right to left well, let's find out how many people I can get to agree with me. Right. Yes, henceforth, we will read and write from right to left. We can just do that. In Asia, you'd get a lot of people yeah. agreeing with yeah. you because um, they do that there. And, and there's another thing called industry standard, right, that really requires no government involvement whatsoever. Uh, and in fact, industries have done this uh, time and time and again as industries grow up. Uh, take toilets, for example. Do you think it's uh, it's an act of government that when you need to buy a new toilet seat, that the bolt holes just line up? Right. No. The industry, industry got together and said, hey, guys, just for the ease of everybody, let's make the bolt holes, you know, whatever the distance mm-hmm. is, and this big around, and that kind of thing. That's an industry standard. It happens mm-hmm. all the time. Regarding traffic, his example about the lights and stuff, like, come on, the internet exists. It directs far more traffic <laughs> than mm-hmm. any road has ever done. Mm-hmm. And yes, humans do glide upon the information superhighway. So it is doing way more than roads could ever do without any government uh, oversight and regulation into how it directs traffic. So yeah, uh, what happens a lot of the time is that the government jumps out in front of the of the parade. Right. So human beings are naturally regulating their behavior because that's what human beings do. Yep. They do so according to the standards of their their culture, their society, and then government says, "I did that," and says, "If you stop doing this, I will put you in jail." Right. So then, if you actually need to change that, say you discover that this little plant is not actually a terribly harmful substance, but actually quite useful and healthful, then you can't change that because government has already said, no, we locked that cultural norm into place. Let me go to the phones here. I got Tim on the line, all of a sudden, full phones. Uh, Tim is in Florida. Go ahead. Hey, do you think uh, David in San Francisco wears a flower? In his hair. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. You got anything else? So, uh, yeah, I've got a got a new definition for government: uh, permanent inefficiency in the supply chain that interrupts the market and keeps people in poverty. That's what a government's for: yeah, getting yeah, a man's way. That. And it enriches its buddies, right? Keeping the people in poverty and transferring their wealth. To their friends, the big corporations, the politically connected, uh, that kind of thing. And it is the inefficiency that we are attempting to route around. 
Thank you, Tim, for the call tonight, man. I appreciate hearing from you. Yep. Let's talk to Jet on the line in wherever he is. Jet, you're on Free Talk Live. Yeah, so let's uh, call in real quick and say, you know, all the discussions we've had over the um, time, we've talked about uh, violent people and psychopaths and all this stuff. But more and more, what it tells me is that the only message we should really be promoting is that some people are not more equal than others, that everyone is the same. So no matter what title you give them, no matter what office you give them, they have no more right to do anything than you or I. It's, it's like if, if we promote that message and ask people, well, who is involved in this social contract? Who gets to make the rules? Why do they make the rules? Um, why can't I make the rules? You know, that's what I do when people say, well, we need some, we need rules. I say, well, who's going to make the rules? Do I get to make the rules? Well, no, not you. Well, I think David, if you he were here, that? would say, we the people make the rules. You vote for your representatives. They go into a room and they argue about what the rules should be. That's the system you agreed to. Yeah, but I just, I'm just saying, if, if we promote the message, everybody is equal. No one gets to be more equal. In other words, there's no God-given right for anyone to rule over another. That really is my my only message these mm. days. Yeah, well, unfortunately, we've got to convince enough people of that before we will get rid of these institutions, which absolutely— That's where you hit them, and you hit them, and you hit them. You yeah. just hit them over and over. Yeah, the so titles— What gives them the power? What gives them the right? Nothing, nothing, nothing. Yeah, the titles are a really big part of the con. Like a huge yep. part of their marketing is to give these special names to certain people and say, oh, those do- those rules don't apply to these people because that's a judge, a politician, yep. a police officer. They're just other humans. Yep. They, they don't get to do anything that you or I don't get to do, period. Thank you, Jet, for the call tonight. I appreciate the thoughts, the number. If you want to join us here is 603-283-6160. Unfortunately... We got a long way to go, uh, and while we are pretty good about getting that message out, we need to have a better strategy. And I think the Free State Project, the movement, the migration, the physical vote with your feet migration of getting liberty-minded people who understand what Jet's talking about to the same geographic area, so we can have an actual influence on society. Mm-hmm. So we can have an influence on government. We were discussing this last night on the show. As much as I would love to just be able to ignore the state and have them just whittle away and and go away, disappear, Mm -hmm. until we can shift the perspective of the masses, that's never going to happen. As long as people still believe in the idea of the state or the necessity of of that concept, then it's never going to go away no matter how many, you know, like-minded people we get, unless we get a supermajority or or something like that, which obviously there's not enough libertarians, I don't think, to, uh, to do that. And not enough of them are willing to physically move somewhere. So that's why, you know, it's important to have people concentrated because you can actually impact society. You can, even with a small group of people, you can impact society. And we've seen that happening here in New Hampshire to some extent where the libertarians are taken very seriously when it comes to the political system. In fact, there was just a poll that was done, and I haven't put out the details yet, 
but it just came out. Uh, the numbers just came out this weekend. They haven't been publicized yet. I've got them. Uh, Alu Axelman has a copy of them, so we're both working on some some news uh, pieces about this. But the poll is about independence. The poll was asking New Hampshire people um, this year. We did one last year, and so it's time to do it again, right? Let's do it every year. Let's see if how yeah. the numbers change over time. Uh, this particular poll was done by the University of New Hampshire. Uh, which is a, a well-respected polling firm here in New Hampshire. They do a monthly poll called the Granite State Poll. It usually addresses different issues. So, for instance, uh, marijuana was in this particular poll. Immigration was in, in this poll. The debt ceiling uh, Wait, was marijuana in this was poll. in it? How do I take this poll? <laughs> you would get randomly contacted by UNH, and then they uh, might All allow right. you uh, into All the right. poll. There was uh, 1,100 and change participants. So You had a whole poll of marijuana? No, that would be a lot. Yeah, I don't think I could even I could take that. Big, Especially now, I haven't used marijuana since I got arrested. That's a big ruling. Twenty twenty one. Right. Um, but uh, this particular poll also had some questions about independence, and the bad news is the numbers were down by about half in certain cases compared to last year. Of course, the questions weren't exactly the same, so mm. it's not really comparing apples to oranges if you're not asking the exact same question. So I have some numbers of uh, you know tallied up and, okay. and that sort of thing but one of the interesting things when you when you get these polls you can dig into the demographics and look and see well where was it strong where were where was support for independence the strongest and where was it the weakest and they also of course have people broken down by their self-described political viewpoint mm. and i thought it was interesting that in the uh, demographics for how do you describe yourself politically there was a line for libertarian and it was like over 10 percent Mm. Of the polling results of the people that were taking this poll, over ten percent of them self-described mm. as libertarian. Interesting, nice. which I thought was you know pretty decent, all things considered. Heck considered. Yeah, you know that's a nice little chunk of people that support our ideas enough to where they would self-identify as uh, as a libertarian. I didn't want to get too far into the the details on the poll because I don't have them in front of me. I look forward right to now. the rest of it though. But yeah, I mean yeah. it wasn't uh, where would've, can would have well, liked to have seen the numbers can, go up, but where it, can our listeners find this when you publish it? It'll be at nhexit.us. Okay. Well, this I weekend, think a, a lot of the a lot of the fervor for change uh was dissipated because of things like the January 6th thing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, we we tried to do a thing and it didn't work. Okay. And and then people feel satisfied that they have at least attempted to change this system. Uh in, in the same way as I think a lot of the uh the dissatisfaction with the with the institutions during the lockdowns was uh was uh, uh pressure released uh by the the riot that occurred Mm. like all of that irritation and frustration with the circumstance which was completely unnecessary and imposed on us by government a lot of that frustration and irritation which should have been focused at the people doing these things at the institutions of government forcing you to not work and thus go hey how do we get out of this circumstance a lot of that emotional energy was just vented through destruction Mm -hmm. and then that satisfaction the the urge to change things yeah people calm down oh and now police abuse still going on but there's no proposals that are seriously being taken to actually change things uh, significantly yeah and in, in the same way with uh, electing trump i think that satisfied a lot mm-hmm. of people's itch to change things because oh well he's an outsider and he's so different and he's not a politician look at everything that he changed yeah oh wait nothing 
Yeah. Oh no, he needs another four years, and yeah. then then he'll be able to to make the changes. Uh, speaking of the politicians, they're uh, already touting that they've reached a deal on the debt ceiling. You knew that was going to happen. Real right? surprise! Last minute, they've come to an agreement on raising the debt ceiling. And of course, if you oh, believe, hold on, hold on, I'm getting a premonition. Uh, lots more money will still be spent on military. I suspect so. There's no real details out at this moment. Just a bunch of uh, politicians blowing hot air like this McCarthy guy who said the deal has historic reductions in spending, which no, it doesn't. Yeah, so just to put this into perspective, so they had another four trillion dollars to run this to run the government for the rest of the year, mm-hmm. which is about how much money they ran the entire government for the entire year Before in Trump. 2017. Yeah. So we're not talking like a crazy rollback here. We're just talking like run it like it was in 2017, like that level of budget. And no, we, we we had plenty of money for that. He claims but no, no. We got to spend way, 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 way more yeah, money. Any reduction that they're claiming will not be a reduction in spending. What it will be yeah. is a reduction in the uh, rate of debt accumulation, mm-hmm. which is a different thing. Which of course will be completely ignored anyway. I mean, yeah. if you believe this guy, I got a bridge to sell you. Uh, but here's the rest of what uh, he said: It has historic reductions in spending, consequential reforms that will lift people out of poverty because government's always been good at doing that, right? Uh, and into the workforce and rein in government overreach. Yes, he says there are no new taxes and no new government programs. You know, if if I'm at home and I don't know, I'm mowing my lawn or something and and my lawnmower doesn't work anymore, I don't try to reform the lawnmower. <laughs> right? It's broken, I need to replace it or get rid of it and find another way to handle my lawn. Maybe I replace the lawn altogether, I don't know, but like I certainly don't reform it, right? This word reform keeps coming up in politics mm-hmm. all the time. And it's got to make you question because I've heard it thousands of times. It's like, well, why are we forming these things in the first place that constantly need to be reformed? Why can't anybody get it right? Oh, I see, because it's not designed to get it right. And how exactly is this new form going to be so different from the old one? Right. And who's going to guarantee that you get it right this time and it's not going to have to be reformed yet again? Let's go to Ricky. He's in Pennsylvania. You're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead, Ricky. Thank you there, brother Ian, brother Captain Peagles Mountaineer. Good evening. It's on your mind. Well, you know, I was going to talk to Ryan, but, you know, I got something interesting to talk about. You know, I said it six years ago, and I'll say it again. I don't like status or status sympathizers. And I heard this guy since I've come back, David from San Francisco. Aren't you status? Yeah, I don't care. I don't care if he says he's a Green Party member. I'm confused about that, too. The man's a status. He's a status beyond belief. And I think what he is wants a status? A status? Yeah. yeah. A, you you keep using this word. I do not think it means what you think state. it means. What's that, Ricky? Huh? What does it mean? A status is somebody that believes in the state. I think it's beyond that. They put their heart and soul and everything into it. You know, that's their way of life, their status. What's the difference between you know? a status and a federalist? You mean a a federalist? Well, well, they're close. They're close to it's kind of like an older brother and like a little bit of a younger brother. Aren't you a a federalist, federalist, Ricky? Huh? Aren't you a federalist? 
Absolutely not. Oh, I thought you self-described. Oh, he calls himself a conservative Democrat. I wear the Southern Cross. Are you uh, kidding me there? Yeah, I thought you were a Confederate. Oh, Confederate. Oh, Thank Confederate. you. Confederate. Sorry, not a Conservative. That's, that's Democrat. Democrat. Not a Confederate. Yeah, no, Confederacy a is a form of state, Ricky. Yes, but, but before we go into that, that makes <laughs> you a statist. <laughs> I'm going to correct you with that. I believe in secession. I believe in blowing away the federal government. That's number one. And as far as that, I don't want anybody joining PA. No, we want to leave this alone, you know? But that's, you're fine with the state of or the Commonwealth of yes. Pennsylvania, which is basically a state, right? Well, not quite. We talked about this with Jay. It's called an association. That's mm-hmm. what's up now. Will they do violence away. against you if you don't pay their association dues? Oh, the feds? No, yeah. the Pennsylvania people. No, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania that you are imagining. Excuse me? Will? The Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, as you are imagining it. Would Will? they or would they not uh, Im- do violence? Yeah, do violence. But if here's you... the point. I'm talking about not now, but post-secession. When it's post-secession, we okay, can change great. everything. Post-secession. Okay, that yes or no, Ricky? Story. Yes or no? Huh? Yes or no? Post-secession. No, no, no. I'm not talking now. I'm talking the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, post-secession, as you imagine it. Would they or would they not? do violence against me if I decided to live there and not pay them for that association. There would be no association because there'd be no more federal government. We're not talking about the federal government. See, that's what I was saying, association. Puerto Rico, right now, there's a bill that went through the House, I found out. Once again, the Is there going to be, hold on, is there going to be in your future seceded Pennsylvania... Presumably, still a commonwealth, quote unquote. I would is there so. still going to be buildings run by the commonwealth and people paid by the commonwealth to do various different tasks? See, the way I envision it, I would see the elimination of all taxes, except for I would hate to say it. You would have to have a little something, maybe two percent, four percent, and maybe a sales tax just to pay well, for to something. To quote the great thing. Ron Paul. One percent tax is one hundred percent of the principal. Now yeah. you already you disqualified yourself as sequence. somebody who is against statism. If you are uh, advocating for taxes, yes. But here's the question. Now, I I don't think anarchy is a good answer because people could not. Most people could not handle anarchy. Pure anarchy. Most people handle pure anarchy in the vast majority of the decisions that they make and the vast basis. majority of how they live their lives every single day. This is the statement made by a statist, by the way, Ricky, to say that Ricky knows that people can't handle this freedom stuff. We've well, got to have control. we got to have taxes. You can't trust people, so let's get a little group of people together and give them all of <laughs> our trust. That's not the idea. That's not the idea. Okay, but that's what you were just talking about. That's what taxes are, dude. But i got a question for Peakless. Okay, so say we get that 60%. We secede tomorrow. We create the new government, okay, here in Pennsylvania. No government at all. No, no. no government. Oh, you're talking about no Pennsylvania. Where you mean Nothing. you and the other Pennsylvanians. Okay. That would be the idea. So we say no government at all. We secede tomorrow and no government whatsoever. So we're going to do – how are we going to do – I'm going to move real quick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> huh? I'm going to move real quick. I'll move to Pennsylvania. You do that. Sorry, well, you, you're asking me a question. Go ahead. My point is – 
Well, it, 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 it almost happened more than once, including in the 90s. But the point sure. is, well, ask Congressman Cartwright. He was asked about it. What, what was the question you had? What was the question? You, you secede, you vote is, no government. How do you what? I think they're really, see, as far as no government at all in modern times, hey, I would be fine with no government in Pennsylvania. But how would it work? How would people be able to live now being used to the way it was? I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, plus. I have an answer you know, for you. Know it's how one would, word, Ricky. Are you listening, Ricky? Here's the answer. One word. Yeah. Voluntarily. That's how. Yeah. All of your agreements now suddenly become 100% voluntary. Yeah, like You're let no me, longer let me... forced to do anything or act in a certain way or whatever. Now you can just decide for yourself what you want to do and live up to your agreements and agree with whoever you want to. Yeah, let me, let me give you a, a few examples of that. So uh, the, the police department or the roads or the courts. So these would all still exist because there's a need for them. We need these things to get about our lives. What would change is just that there would be a market for them. It's just that no one would shoot me for trying to do a different court system. No one would shoot me for trying to make my own road system. No one would shoot me for doing security in this area with these willing participants. Thank you, Ricky, for the call tonight. Let's talk to Major Payne on the line in Michigan. You're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead, Major. Yeah, you guys have had some uh, crazy calls tonight. As far as uh, old King Richard there, and, and what was that guy's name from San Francisco? Scott? Steve? David. David. In San Francisco. David. All right. So it just kind of reminded me of an old psychiatrist joke. How many psychiatrists does it take to change a flat tire? How many? Well, really, well, the tire has, has to, to want, want to change. change. Uh, exactly. And most people can't handle the truth, much less change. No, that's true. People do really, uh, they hate change. People really are frustrated yeah, change and averse. stressed by that. There's something in the corporate world called uh, change management mm-hmm. uh, that, that they'll teach you about. And that is, okay, you've identified that there's going to be a change. The first, the first thing you got to do is let everybody know that there's going to be a change, so they can prepare themselves. So that they can for prepare it. for the change, mm-hmm. right? Then, once everybody gets prepared for the change, you you go back over the change with everybody, and then you finally make the change. And then, you know, there might be some training involved before the change or that kind of thing. And then, eventually, the change happens. It takes a monumental effort to make the one change. I wish we had more time, but y'all will later in uh, about a half an hour, 10.30 Eastern Time. Beard Talk Live will kick off, but it's only on our video streaming platform. So check out watch.freetalklive.com. Be there in about a half an hour. Uncensored. And, uh, yeah, there's no pesky FCC. If uh, anybody that's on hold right now, which we didn't get to all the calls, just hang on. And uh, they'll get you on in the after show, which is Beard Talk Live tonight. This is Mark Edge with Free Talk Live. Mark Warden with PorcupineRealEstate.com is one of the best real estate agents I've ever worked with. I've been through about two dozen real estate transactions in my life, and I feel like I know what I'm doing, but there's always the things that you don't know that you don't know. Mark Warden with PorcupineRealEstate.com found a problem with the house that I was buying that ultimately saved me $65,000. He's a consummate professional, holds his people to his own high standards, and I would unequivocally recommend him for any real estate purchase in New Hampshire. Don't sell yourself short. Contact PorcupineRealEstate.com. 